Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, February 23rd. We are here live. We're going to open phone lines right now, so jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. It's a Friday free-for-all. We'll focus on technology and efficiency. If you have anything at all you want to talk about, jump in and join us. I've got Joel here with me. I'm pretty sure we're going to be getting uh, Henry and Alec. We'll see. Uh, Joel, good morning. What's on your mind this morning? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Um, we've got some projects coming up in the future that'll probably be pretty interesting. Um, the first one being what I'm calling the bridge truck till I get the, the newest uh, body style Volvo, the next uh, version of Purple Haze. I have a, an iTorque 6x4 coming. That is the current body style. And we're going to run that kind of head-to-head versus what I've got right now just to compare the fuel mileage differences between a 6x2, 6x4. Uh, the truck that Volvo's going to lend me to do this is more of a fleet spec in terms of parameters and axle capacities and the gap. So, you know, what, what folks typically buy off the lot, um, it'll be interesting to see the differences in, in fuel efficiency that we're, we're able to um, document. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. I think. I think I'll probably end up in the the six by four. Travis will stay in the six by two here, and uh, you know we'll get out. Probably going to start out in the real world right after the truck show, I would imagine, and uh, it probably run till early fall or so. Good. So we ought to get some miles on there to document the differences. Yeah, we'll look. We'll look forward to. Spreading the word. Yeah, yeah, it should be interesting. We'll we'll keep that uh, information and, and uh, stuff flowing out to to everybody so they can see what's going on. Hey, just a just a very quick note on on what Alpha Drivers Testing and Consulting does. Um, we provide fuel efficiency information free of charge to whoever wants to look at it. I do not, and I, I'll repeat this, I do not provide business advice, tax advice, financing advice. I cannot help you determine if you can afford to buy a new truck or not. That's that's not what I do. Um, I, I work with OEMs. I field test stuff. I share to the degree what they allow me to share. Um, Volvo's been very good about allowing me to share um, fuel efficiency information at a very, very accurate and high level with a high degree of transparency. Um, I don't know, just recently I've been getting a lot of pushback that I'm manipulating numbers and I'm faking this and I'm faking that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, come on. How how much more transparent can you be? <laughs> you know, I, I, I was part of this last one when you were making the comparison between slowing down and going faster, but you also made it clear you were comparing two different specs as well. And yes. people immediately started, they got on you about that one. And I said, wait, hold on. There's no reason why you can't test both sometimes. There's multiple things going on here. There's, there's a dozen ways you could have presented this information. But what it seems like mm-hmm. is no matter how you present it, somebody finds some fault with it. And the point, the, the problem with that is if you want to dispute me on what we're claiming, 
you know, that slowing down improves this much. Or, well, then let's debate that. But don't just come in and say, well, mm-hmm. that, that's a stupid way to present it or that doesn't make sense. It, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't further the, the, the learning at all. Debate all you want about what works and what doesn't, but stop with all the, oh, well, I could get 18 miles to the gallon, too, if I had that load on that day. And Well, no, you couldn't. First off, you're wrong. You can't. But I agree. Even if you could, that's not the point. The the point is that this is still and as far as I can tell, always will be the number one expense in trucking. And it's also an expense that we have a tremendous amount of control over. So what you and I have always tried to do is just get people to understand that. What are the opportunities here? They're almost endless. Sure. And, and that's what I was demonstrating with that post. Here is an opportunity for forward-thinking people to think out of the box. Let's take the traditional spec. Let's run it. Let's see what it does. Now let's take an out-of-the-box downsped spec. Let's run them right next to each other, and here is the delta between the two. It was never meant to be an apples-to-apples comparison. It was, in fact, meant to be an apples-to-oranges comparison because I wanted to demonstrate, here's what happens when you go bite the apple, you know? Throw the orange away. Here's here's what the difference can be, and it makes a significant difference, and and this is the point that I'd I'd really want to drive home. So many people think it really doesn't make that much difference. A truck's a truck, and the specs don't make that much difference. It's all the driver. That's not true anymore. There was a time when specs were very similar, Correct. and you could have made that argument. It it's, does not hold true at all anymore. Uh, aggressively downsped uh, powertrains will just thump traditionally spec powertrains for general van freight operations or general freight operations across the board, whether it's a flatbed, whether it's a tanker, whether it's a van. And this is the first time in the trucking industry in probably 50 years where we've had something unique that has that much of an impact. And it's not unique to Volvo. I think Volvo's kind of leading the way, but Detroit does a very good job of it. I mean, even Cummins and Packard are bringing out versions of downsped powertrains and, of course, internationals jumping in in a big way with the Scania powertrain they're bringing over from Europe. So I guess that's what I kind of want to open people's eyes to is that there is a kind of a a gearing revolution going on inside the transportation industry. You've got the opportunity right now to buy a traditionally spec truck or downsped truck. You better understand what you're getting into because one's going to cost you a whole lot of money and the other's going to make you a whole lot of money. Exactly. And and really, you know, this, again, we're to this idea now where there are major differences in some of the ways these trucks are going to get spec. Not little differences anymore. These could be big differences. And part of what you were pointing out in that post and what I tried to point out was, look, if you spec this traditional truck and you go out and run 70 or 75, like a lot of people still seem to be doing, your results are going to be pretty awful. If you try to slow down, but you didn't spec the truck properly to slow down, you're not going to get maximum results. That, that's kind of the point of this is, look, once you spec this this way, even slowing down isn't going to get you the biggest benefit. But if you spec the truck to be able to slow down or now, 
the real benefit here being able to spec a, an on-highway truck with three different top gears. That, that was unheard of before. You couldn't do it. There, there was just no way. And now you can. And you're trying to show that, look, with these options on this drivetrain and engine architecture, we can run a truck at 70 plus if we have to, to get reason, as good a fuel mileage as you're ever going to get at that speed. And we can get really good fuel economy at 55 when you can afford to run that slow. That, that's pretty incredible. It's the versatility um, part of the equation that traditionally spec trucks lock you into an extremely narrow operating range. Direct drive trucks lock you into an extremely yes. narrow operating range. They can be efficient because you always get the guy that's got the, the 325 with a 550 cat and whatnot. I'm getting nine miles. You can. You can do that. But in a very, very narrow operating range where I can run efficiently from 55 to 85. Yeah. And there's no traditional drivetrain on the planet that can do that. None of them. I, I, I don't care who's the manufacturer or who put it together. If it has traditional gearing, you cannot have that. It's just physically impossible to have that flexibility. Right. So that's kind of the point that I was driving home in that regard. The other huge point of this and we're seeing this more and more, and I'm more and more confident, is the maintenance savings when you yes. when you go down sped. It's huge. Yep. In fact, I'm going to say for most operations, the emission system durability and the maintenance savings is probably going to be at least as good as the fuel efficiency savings in a lot of instances. It's, That's huge. It's pretty spectacular. It, it, it is. That's and huge. I, I mean, I'm having a hard enough time getting the fuel efficiency point across, let alone the maintenance point. But yeah, I mean, the people that under, understand this, man, oh man, it makes a huge difference. And, you know, and you're just, just like right now, we're in a down freight market. You know, everybody's complaining about the cheap rates and whatnot. Well, they are low. Nobody likes it, but you need to be able to operate in this environment and that downsped and an aggressively downsped powertrain, especially, is going to allow you to remain viable in a very down marketplace. Um, it's just, it's just a fact. Where the traditional truck without the aerodynamics, it's going to put you out of business. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to go back to how you started this, that, you know, people think that, you know, you're in the business of giving this overall advice about operating trucks, and, and you're not. You've got a very, very specific focus, which is fuel economy, maintenance, being very, very efficient in the operation of the truck itself. That That's really your mm -hmm. focus. And, you know, one of the reasons I've built this program out the way we have since we left um, Sirius is for that reason. You know, I, I've done a ton of work over the years on fuel economy. You and I have almost an identical history, except at some point mm -hmm. I couldn't stay that focused because I was also doing taxes mm -hmm. and, you know, financial planning and your retirement account and your tires and... It, it, I do the whole picture big business. And in order for me to do that better, that's why I've partnered with people like you and Pittsburgh Power on, on the things they're good at and MD alignment at what they're good at and let you guys keep focusing on those, you know, down to that minute detail. 
And, and that's how we're going to continue to learn in those areas. And here, this show and our coaching program and all of that, we can help you with all of that other stuff. That's what we do. Yes. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and to that point, when I'm out in social media, it never fails. I get the guy, oh, let me see your numbers and let me see your company's financials. You ain't seeing shit of mine. I am putting out very specific information in regards to fuel efficiency. If you want to talk business, you want to talk rates, you want to talk markets, go talk to Kevin. That's what you do. And we do That's share not numbers. That's what I do. Right. And we yes, do share you numbers. You guys absolutely we- share numbers. My, my business's numbers are irrelevant to any other operation out on the road. Correct. Wouldn't because, even make sense. Because it, 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 there's no reason for me to throw all that stuff out there because it's not going to apply to anybody uh, else. All Nobody. you would do so, is triple the number of arguments you got oh into God. on social uh, you're, media. You're right. <laughs> you, you're right. We just start running down rabbit holes. We right. lose focus on what I am here for, and the numbers will not apply to anybody else's operation. And what I'm trying to do is provide efficiency information for people to take free of charge, and then they should know their numbers and then apply that information to their numbers. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. I am not suggesting that anybody should go out and buy a new truck if you can't justify it plugging your numbers into the equation. I would never make the argument that, oh, a new truck is the greatest in every situation. It is not. <laughs> of course but not. But there right. are times, well, but we get these guys. Oh, I know you're right. Oh, you're telling, you're telling people to buy new trucks, and, and that's, that's horrible. No, I'm not. I'm saying take my efficiency information, plug it into your individual circumstance, and you make the decision. I am not making that decision for you. I am simply providing information. And I think we have been as transparent on fuel efficiency information as it's possible to be. It, you have. In the real no world. No doubt, I, right. And I, I, and I mean, Jesus. You know, when it comes to numbers, when I had my trucks, I posted my financial statements. Nothing redacted, mm-hmm. nothing hidden. It mm-hmm. would, These are the real numbers. Here they are. But he, like you said, even then... I mean, that was an, a, a not a normal over-the-road operation. It was three trucks at FedEx on dedicated runs. I mean, that's a whole yeah. different situation. But there's still a lot to learn from sharing those numbers. We have people today, Matt, um, all kinds of people who will allow us to post their business reports and profit and loss statements. They put all their numbers out there yep. and say, here, here it is. And it, it's yep. crazy how so many people will focus on trying to prove you're wrong instead of yes. just taking information and learning from it. You're, you're 100% right. And look, if, if I wasn't out here providing very detailed fuel efficiency information, you know, and, and I didn't want that to make my, make my focus, yeah, maybe I'd throw that other information out there because it's, it's not really that big a deal. I, I guess if you really want to understand where the marketplace is at and you want to benchmark your numbers, go to Atri. Yeah, right. They do a great job right. at providing. Go to Atri and benchmark your numbers if that's what you're looking to do. 
Um, I, I'm just simply not going to do that and run down the rabbit hole. I am way, way, way too busy, and I'll put the fuel efficiency number out there. But as far as my business's financials, and look, I've got two. I've got testing and consulting and transportation. And, you know, I get guys that are demanding that I put everything else. I, I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just not doing it. It's that simple. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you shouldn't. You have a specific focus. And, and again, that's why I partnered with you. Nobody else that I'm aware of anywhere in the country is doing the kind of fuel mileage testing you're doing that benefits us here, my, my market, the, the very, very small carrier. It, that's different from what um, anybody else at some big fleet level might be doing. So for you to, to lose that focus and then try to become everything to everybody doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? It's a recipe recipe for disaster. You're exactly right. I, I am. I do not want to be that jack of all trades that's kind of mediocre at everything but does nothing well. I want to be the fuel efficiency data king. That's yes. what I want to be. I want to be better. That is our focus, to be better at that than anybody in the country, on the planet. There that you is go. My, that is my goal. When you say alpha drivers testing and consulting, you know damn well that those numbers are spot-on accurate, and that's what we strive for every day. The rest of it, go talk to Kevin. And, Kevin takes care of that. And that's what we do. That's been our focus for forever, has been how do you run one truck as efficiently as you possibly can and all the things that goes into that, which is cost and and all the cost fuel mileage you have to understand insurance i mean there's all kinds of ways we can lower cost in an operation but then it's also revenue relationships understanding the the rate market what's going on that is what we do we do the whole big picture and in order to and just like you i want to be the best at this I want to be the, the, this is the guy you need to go to if you want to know how to run a truck really, really efficiently, the whole operation. And in order to do that better, I no longer have time to do all the kind of fuel mileage testing I used to do or tire testing or, so now it just makes sense for me to go find people like you that want to be the best at what they do. And then we, we partner and everybody wins. I, I agree. Everybody wins. When you can maintain uh, a laser focus on the prize, and that's that's what we're doing in terms of fuel efficiency, that's, that is all that matters to me out in social media. The business part of it, everything else, you know, like you said, everybody's unique. Everybody's different. There are no numbers that are going to apply universally across the board. You know, you get half the people saying, oh, you can't afford a new truck in this market. Then you get the other half of people say, I'm kicking ass with my new truck in this market. You know what well, I mean? And and both of them can be right. Um, there's no universally applicable set of financial standards that are going to apply in a free market. It's just not yeah. going to happen. So take my data, apply it to your individual circumstance. Don't worry about mine. I'm giving you this for free. Take it. If you don't believe it's accurate, don't look at it. Block yeah, me. Right. You know. Hey, hey, let's take it a step further. We could all benefit if people would take the data we're putting out, apply it to their operation, learn what they can learn, and bring those lessons back to the group. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, 
privately, if somebody wants to come hire me or Alec to help them determine things, we will do that for hire, but it's never going to end up out in social media. We're not going to talk about it publicly. I mean, we could do that. You know, we're just never, ever going to put that stuff out there in social media saying, this is how you can afford a new truck. <laughs> I'm never, ever, ever going to say that. That's never going to happen. <laughs> right. I was accused. Somebody somebody said, oh, you made the statement that your fuel savings can pay for the truck. I've never made that statement because everybody's operation is different. How could I make a blanket statement like that? It makes no sense. I'm sure there are some operations where it might. Other operations, there's no way in hell. And so, I'll be the know, one to step in and say, I have said that to people. And when I say it, I can show them on paper. But that doesn't mean it always works. In fact, that, that's, uh, that, that's exactly, nothing always yeah. works. Nothing. Right. Right. Nothing applies universally. Nothing. You're exactly right. 100%. You know, then you get the argument, oh, I can buy 14 old trucks and, and <laughs> run a fleet and, and for the cost of your one truck. Hey, look, then go you do can it. do that, I am very, very happy for you. I, I'm happy if you succeed and make a million dollars, regardless of your business model. If you're successful, I'm happy for you. I truly am. You know, some yeah. guys are like, oh, he's just pissed off because I can do this. I am not. <laughs> I am not ever. If you can succeed regardless of how you do it, I am happy for you. In fact, I, I, not I only am I happy no for you, with that. I, I'm going to listen mm -hmm. and pay attention because I might be able to learn something. I, exactly. Because, you know, back in the day, we tried that. Me and my brother, when we first started, we were running a bunch of used trucks that we bought from fleets that were cheap. And we bought a bunch of them. And we didn't go bankrupt, but we never really made any money doing that. In our instance, we done much better with new equipment than we did used equipment. Now, does that apply universally? Of course it doesn't. And I'm not telling anybody that you can't make it with used trucks because I've seen people do it. You know, there's um, a, a two good examples yesterday from uh, my coaching program. So I, I've got a, a brand new carrier. Bought his first truck, got his authority right out of the gate, put it to work, and I've been, he's in my coaching program, so I've been following along with him. He's killing it. He started mm -hmm. at the bottom, first truck, new authority, mm -hmm. and on, on, on that first week, he said, oh, now I understand what people say, and I've called a couple brokers that don't want to load me because my authority's too new, or I don't have an inspection, mm -hmm. or whatever, it, and... Him and I had talked about this many times, and I get it. There are lots mm -hmm. of brokerages that have those kinds of policies. So there's a couple ways you can approach this. See if you can get them to change their policy. Sometimes they will make exceptions or go find somebody else who will. And if you want to set yourself apart, don't just pick up the phone and say, I see you got this load. I want it. That's not how this works. So I said, why don't you just find a couple local brokers who look like they have some freight you might be interested in and go take them to lunch. And he did. And he yeah. got loaded. Yeah. And he's had yeah. zero trouble getting loaded from that day forward. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, and, you know, I, I was listening Monday when you had your was a Broker Connect show going on. I can't remember the guy's name you had. on. Brent um, Hutto from truckstop.com. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, 
you know, he was talking about the big opportunity and power only. And I was kind of giggling to myself going, man, this dude, he, he, he hit it right out of the ballpark. Because, yeah. that, you know, that's exactly, I saw that same opportunity very early on and, and we seized upon it. And, and I got to tell you, you know, partnering with a company like Schneider, when you have new authority, if, if you're getting your own authority, it has been wonderful for us. We yeah. have, we don't have to worry about brokers ripping us off and not paying. Yep. We get paid right away you know we don't have to worry about oh well you don't have your authority long enough to, to take these loads it's been spectacular for us yeah um it's been way way better than what obviously most people would imagine i mean i get i still get vilified out on social media for it and i just gotta shake my head every time somebody says oh you're hauling cheap freight <laughs> okay well, the, you say so <laughs> the other story i told was a, a same guy same thing guy bought a truck he got his authority. He was really, really struggling. It wasn't working. He called me up. I said, look, um, you're just all over the board. And it, what he was yeah. doing is what almost everybody does. They get their first, you know, truckstop.com account. They log in. Oh, I'm going to start searching for freight. They search for a load. They sort it by rate. They call somebody and then they just keep repeating that. And they don't know, they're, they're not trying anything different. I said, look, you need to go build some relationships. You need to find three to five good brokers, start working with them. You'll start to understand that the best freight doesn't make the board most of the time. It, but it's the, the relationships is where this is going to work. So he calls me back eight months later to tell me that he, he was nominated as C.H. Robinson's Small Carrier of the Year. He didn't go find three to five brokers. He found one, C.H. Robinson, yes. and then found two yes. or three agents within C.H. Yes. Robinson that kept this guy so busy and they loved him. Brand new, first time owner operator, first time carrier, one, one piece of advice, just go build some relationships and he becomes yeah. the, the biggest broker in the country. Basically, he becomes their number one small carrier. In less than a year, <laughs> that is that is very very cool. Um, I, you know, we we've done kind of the same thing here. Did my did my direct customer pay more? Yes. Was there more risk involved? Yes. Yeah. Did I have to have a trailer and that expense involved? Yes. So just as an example, and and I don't know that people really think about this, and it's just very basic. So let's suppose I pulled a load off the Schneider board, and let's let's say it was two thirty five a mile. Um, and then I pulled a load, a load off. Let's that, and it was, it was uh, three ten a mile. Okay, so for the load that I pulled off there, I got to have my own trailer. I'm going to get live loaded and live unloaded at both ends. You know, I've got my trailer cost. I've got all that involved. Well, the Schneider stuff, I go in, it's a drop and hook. I have zero time involved there. I have zero expense in the trailer. I have, you know, zero expense really finding the load other than logging onto the app and pressing a button, and away I go. Which which one are you really making more money at? You're right. You're right. Uh, it's, I mean, the, the, the whole deal I've got going with Schneider, it's it's pretty damn exceptional, I think. Yeah. Uh, we're at the bottom of the market. There's virtually no risk to me. I don't have to put any money into trailing equipment, uh, and that allows most of my loads to be drop and hook. So 
I remember a few weeks ago we had a guy calling in that said, oh, all this time is getting ate up at shippers and receivers waiting at docks. I don't. Right. Very rarely right. am I sitting at a dock losing time. I got 35 minutes in, 35 minutes out, you know, and, and uh, on, on each end. A very, very, very conducive to making money, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really like it. Now, at some point, will I probably dabble back with the furniture and, and you know rekindle that relationship as the economy improves and whatnot? Most likely, I will. Yeah. Um, and we Just talked makes about sense. this before. I'll have some trucks. I'll have some trucks running with Schneider. I'll have some trucks maybe doing multi-stop furniture deliveries as well. I, I'll stay diversified. That way, when things turn around, I'm in a strong position, regardless if I'm in an up economy or a down economy. I have allocated my assets in the most advantageous way possible, regardless of the economic conditions. And, and you know, that's what I'm looking to do. There you go. What, one more lesson from our, uh, from our coaching, and then we'll get to some calls. I see they're starting to pile up. So, you know, this coaching for me is, is kind of, it's really becoming a lot of fun for me. It's, it's more intense one-on-one with people where I really get to go in and use my skills, troubleshooting, you know, being really creative about how do we solve these problems, except my very first kind of big case on the, on the trucking side at, after about the first three weeks, I was starting to sweat. I was like, boy, what if, what if I just can't help this guy? You know, we, there's mm-hmm. everything we tried. We just kept running into roadblocks. And I, I started mm-hmm. to worry, like, you know, here I made this big deal about this coaching program. I'll help you solve all your problems. And what if I can't solve this one? And yesterday mm-hmm. we started to have some breakthroughs finally. So this is a family-run business, been around for a long, long time. You, you can't say mm-hmm. they didn't know what they were doing. You can't say they hadn't been through a downturn before. They'd been through several and survived and did great and it's Mm -hmm. just their weird market they're in a local market with aggregate and and drivers have just Mm -hmm. disappeared like a hundred thousand dollars a year and these guys are home every night and you can't find a driver anywhere yeah i I hear you and we found out that it's nothing this family-run company was doing. There are several bigger companies in their area. They're all fighting the exact same thing. They've got trucks parked. They can't get drivers. Even as this economy slows down, it, it, the drivers just aren't mm-hmm. showing up. And, right. and then it's a family-run business, and the father kind of still makes all the decisions, and he's... It's taken some time to get him to understand that the, the market is just really, really changing. So we have that struggle of I'm working with one person in the family. And when I recommend something, he's got to go back and try to sell it to the family. And if he can't, then right. he comes back and, I'm, okay, now what are we going to try? So <laughs> we finally started to see some breakthroughs. Um, a couple really positive things have happened. You can hear, you know, everybody's attitude is changing. Um one of them was, I've talked about this before, the, the fuel bonus program that I designed. Mm-hmm. That We've mm-hmm. talked about why most fuel bonus programs are horrible failures. You don't even hear that much sure. about them anymore um, because they just mm-hmm. didn't work well. So I came up right. with this idea where we take all the risk away from the driver. If you, mm-hmm. you, you give the driver an option, if you do this, we will give you a bonus. It's not about fuel mileage. So basically, right. it's allow the driver to choose what speed his truck will be governed at Mm 
and then give him 80% of the savings that it generates, even if it doesn't generate those savings. So we're not saying you have to get three-tenths of a mile per gallon better to get your bonus. All we're saying is you pick the speed we're going to govern your truck at, and here is your bonus, and you get it every day, whether the fuel mileage comes up or not. We're going to take that risk. Because we know if you slow a truck down five miles an hour, we should be able to pick up a half a mile per gallon. And if, if, if it sure. doesn't work, we'll figure out why it doesn't work. We're going to take that risk right. as the fleet. And right. he immediately got some drivers to sign on. He's got drivers that said, all right, we're at 70. We'll try 65. We calculated mm-hmm. the savings. We give them 80% of that savings. And several of the drivers have said, we'll try 65. And if it works, we'll go to 60. Mm-hmm. And they're excited about it. So it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, now absolutely. you've got buy-in from them. Now, they had one driver who said, well, I want the bonus, but I don't want to have to slow down. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, how does that work? So, but, exactly. but it's his choice. He's not going to be forced right. to slow down. You've been going 70, just keep going 70, but you're not going to get a bonus. Right, right. Yes, yes. So, and, and, and you're, you're spot on with your thought process here. You know, you you have to put the risk on the carrier, not the driver, and you have to give them that money based on decisions, not the actual result, but the decision that they made, because there's too many variables that can impact the result. It could be 30 below zero. Yep. And, you know, you're you're not going to you're not going to get that that fuel mileage there. So, you know, over time, it balances out where it benefits both the driver and the carrier, but the carrier has to take the risk not the driver and that's always been the problem all the risk and a bonus always goes on onto the driver and then the company says well it's not a risk because it's a bonus <laughs> well <laughs> <Right>. yeah <laughs> maybe right. you know what I mean? well so, no, you're you, you you're spot on with this yeah. yeah part of the risk for the driver is in order to get better fuel economy we need you to slow down the minute you slow down you're risking your paycheck Yes, that, that's exactly right. That, you're 100% right. You are risking your paycheck based on what Mother Nature is going to throw right. at you, based at the weight of the load they're going to throw at you. Right. And it's just too much of a risk for most company drivers getting paid by the mile. They said, look, I cannot deal with the day-to-day variation in my right. paycheck when I do this, so I don't care about the bonus. They're always excited for the first three months, and especially <laughs> if you roll it out in the summertime when it's easy right. to make the bonus. The second the weather turns to shit, even some of the drivers will want to stand a bonus, but it's their wives going, this is bullshit. And right. they're not wrong. Right. You know, they are not wrong. So yep. you're you're 100% right on this, and, and the, the, the company needs to take that seasonal risk or the weight variation risk. All that needs to be put on the driver or on the, the carrier, sorry, so the driver yep. can maintain a, a a paycheck that's a little bit more steady. And, so you're, you're 100% right. Let's take this one step further. As as good as this program is going to work for this small fleet, I'm confident of it. I've helped other small fleets do it. This is a limited approach. You get up to a certain number of trucks, this doesn't even become workable anymore. Your brother could not run a program like this. We could, but it yes, wouldn't make any sense. Of- well, the variation in dispatch speed becomes very problematic at that point because you've got 
a handful of people trying to run as, as efficient as they can, finding loads, and when you have variation in speeds between the trucks, now what do you use for an average dispatch speed? Right. So right. smaller fleet, or, 20 trucks or less, you can make this work. Once you get north of 20 trucks, it just becomes impossible where you, and, you've got to have – You've got to have some synchronicity amongst the speed in your truck so your dispatch can plan effectively. Here's another reason why it won't work. And you're right, 20, 25 trucks probably max on this strategy. Now, we're allowing a driver to say, okay, you're going to go 70. This driver is going to go 65. We have another driver that wants to go 63. And we allow them to switch back if they don't like it. So if you if mm-hmm. we turned your truck down to 63 and you decide you don't read that's too slow you want to go 68 well now start thinking about a hundred trucks that you're pulling in and out of the shop all the time to constantly reset speeds and it's just not going to work. So you're a hundred percent right and I know we've talked about this and and I've been talking with Volvo about this for for several years and and it's going to be rolled out in the new truck where we can do this over the air. We can set speed limits, but we have the operating modes that I talked about where it's going to keep track of the fuel efficiency in extended economy, basic economy, and performance mode. And each one of those modes can have an individual speed link to them. So the driver on any given day can say, look, I've got all kinds of time. I'm going to run it in economy, and I'm going to make 70 cents a mile. Or they can say, Little Billy's got a basketball game. I need to be home. I don't care what it costs me. I'm put in performance mode, and I'm going to make 55 cents a mile. Nice. And on a daily basis, they're going to be able to make that, the driver will make that decision, um, you know, what they what they want to do. And yeah. I, I think that is the ultimate expression of what you're talking about here, and it will be applicable into bigger fleets as well. There you go. I like it. Hey, Alec, good morning. Good morning. Well, I'm, I'm impressed listening to you. I, I heard something new. I heard my partner use the word synchronicity. And I'm like, where did I get that? <laughs> uh, well, here, here's what you I know, got. I was, listening to, I was listening to the police in the background. I, I was and, just and about to say, yeah, that, that's a really yeah. good song, by the way. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe that's it, or or maybe you actually opened a second monster drink. I don't know which, uh, but I, I, I'm impressed. <laughs> so, well, I, I, just to confuse the issue, I'm going to suggest one more part of the plan that, you know, talking about fleets and 20, and I don't even know if we could even get to 20 to implement the plan like that, but what if we did something like this? What if we said, all right, you know, on such and such a trip or a period of time, whatever the max speed that you hit or some sort of average, because we can do this now with telematics, right? So if you have telematics that um, during a week or a month, whatever the period is, and um, while you're on the on highway cruise speed, if you hit whatever that max speed that you hit, that sets a bonus range. So, so, so a lot of a lot of companies in the background are doing something very similar to what you're talking about. They are going back in through their telematic system. They're identifying specific areas and they're identifying what they see as optimal numbers, like brake application per mile, mm-hmm. average cruising speed, average idle time, and they roll that all into a score. 
and not necessarily an individual number. And then they, they pay the people off the score. The problem is, is when you get down to that number, which us geeks love, the drivers, they, they can't really focus on that or it, it just right. becomes, right. It, it just takes so much of their attention and effort to, to try to achieve a very specific number like that, that it, it gets mm-hmm. counterproductive. But, uh, um, I, I hear what I, I you're hear saying, you. and it, 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 you know, right. it, 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 you know, you're right. These guys are outsmarting themselves at the detriment to the driver. So, uh, you know, heartbreaking. Look, if a dog jumps out, I want you to hit the brakes. Or if a deer jumps out <laughs> yes. or whatever it is, you know, I'm certainly not going to penalize the driver. So I don't think that makes sense. And I think somebody is just getting either they're trying to overcomplicate the issue or worse, they're trying to not pay the driver, and uh, that's a bad thing. Here's here's where, what I see that problem is: is that typically this happens in bigger fleets. They bring in mm-hmm. somebody with a data or engineering background that's never really drove a truck. They put a whole lot of data in front of them, and they say, "Pick out what's important and let's apply it." And they don't understand right. what's happening in the real world. I don't think there's any malice involved there. I don't think they're trying to beat anybody out of any money. I just don't think they understand that there is a disconnect between the data that they see and what happens in the real world. And this is where the small carriers have such a huge advantage over the big carriers, is that we mm-hmm. intimately understand that connection. And if we sit down and we really think about it, we can devise some really clever plans, just like Kevin is talking about with the the fuel efficiency plan that he's helped the small fleet roll out that actually makes sense and works in the real world. Too often, small fleets look at a J.B. Hunt or a a U.S. Express or, or whoever, and they say, oh, look, this is how they do their fuel efficiency plan. They spent millions of dollars figuring this out. It, it's got to be the way to go. It's probably the exact wrong way to go. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, don't, don't be afraid to understand that we have very, very unique advantages over big fleets and carriers because we're out here every day. We see what's happening. Mm-hmm. We have to be honest with ourselves when we think about these things. But if we're honest with ourselves and we apply it in the right manner, we get some really cool programs that work very, very well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Good stuff. Oh, one other thing that uh, um, kind of good news for that small fleet – Joel, this goes back to what we were just talking about a little earlier. We needed Mm -hmm. to look for ways to fill in because they're in such a specialized market that sometimes they've got equipment just sitting. And, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, what do we do with this? They're not in a financial position to go out and buy new trailers right now or any kind of trailer right now to be more flexible. So I said, why don't you start looking around in your area for power only? So now Absolutely. when you need to fill in somewhere, you don't need a certain kind of trailer or equipment. You're completely flexible, but you've got trucks <laughs> that could be. And it, he's already finding stuff. It's pretty incredible what, what was available. It, it, Absolutely. I mean, I, I wish really that I would have started down the whole power only path with Schneider years ago. And I just say Schneider because in our area, they yes, are extremely right. strong right. And, and the rates are decent. Um, you know, it would have made such a difference, not only in keeping the occasional truck busy that wasn't busy, but in 
in diversifying our customer base. And, and that's what's really huge. And my brother's been talking about this a lot lately. You know, uh, it's great to have direct customers and it's great to provide them with top-notch service, but it takes a lot of time, effort, focus, and it absorbs a lot of your company's resources. And if that company that you're taking care of has a financial hiccup, that's going to come and smack you unless you're diversified. And power only is a wonderful way to be able to diversify your customer base without having to buy trailers and and add dispatch and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, an, and it's it's just a great strategy. Another advantage for a small fleet is when you're out there looking for that, that power-only stuff, you may find some bigger long-term opportunities. Yeah, there, always, yes. I, I, there, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, it, it's always good to be in the – and look – a lot of times, some opportunities will come through the fleet that you're you're dealing with the power only. Because right. here's the thing with small companies, and, and we had talked about this, as a, as a one, two, three truck operation, it's extremely hard to take a financial hit when somebody closes their doors. And there's a lot of times we'll find something power only that we think to ourselves, man, that would be great as a dedicated run. Right. You call back up to them and say, hey, look, I got a truck in this area. Let's work something. And they're more than willing to work with you because they want it covered. Yes. And so yeah. often we get hung up on the, well, you're not a real trucker if you're pulling a Schneider trailer. <laughs> That's the dumbest shit that ever that ever was. It, it just they, isn't. Hey, and, and hey, I, hey I, Joel, I mean, let, let's expand on so that. so many people... Yeah. Every every <laughs> single statement that starts with "you're not a real trucker," if it, it, just throw them all away because they're all worthless garbage. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Probably if you've done just the opposite of that, right. you're gonna you're gonna succeed. But <laughs> right. you know what? I, I'm pulling a Schneider trailer. I, I'm proud of it. Yes. I, I'll say it. I, it. I have no problem with it. They are great people to work with. They're on top of their game. They pay their freaking bills, and they maintain their equipment. What the hell more do you want? Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Now, if you're exactly looking for a get-rich-quick get uh, solution, it's, it's not Schneider. Well, and, I don't uh, know of any uh, area in uh, trucking uh, where, where I, that's going to I was just going to say, Joel, that, that hold, just did. hold on. You know, we can expand beyond trucking. All business, yeah, all yeah. business. There is no such thing as get rich quick anything. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. But you know, it's just a shame that we we've, we've got these these very closed minded attitudes in the industry, and um, you know, a lot of people they they will feel funny if oh my god, I, I can't do business with Schneider because they'll make fun of me if I'm pulling an orange trailer. <laughs> you know, there's there's people they will make that decision. Oh and no, you and are absolutely right. Them, you know, you yeah, are absolutely yeah, they right. Make that decision. See, see, I I take. Here's another example of where Joel and I disagree. I'm perfectly fine if they don't want to pull a, a pumpkin trailer. Um, I'm perfectly fine if they're looking for the get rich quick team. I'm perfectly fine if they're either in the truck stop. I'm perfectly fine if they don't take advantage of a fuel purchase discount program. Right. Um, I'm perfectly fine if they pay too much for their uh, cargo insurance and everything else. I'm perfect. They want to buy a Peterbilt. God bless them. Um, you know, so this is all about competition. And I'm much more 
I think, competitive. Joel is a lot more free to give away some secret um, to his success than perhaps I might be. But hey. um, this show is about education. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, but, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate on that statement because I, I think there's a happy middle ground here. I'm, I'm outrageously competitive. I, I just, I love competition of all kinds. I always have. Uh, a good example of this was when I coached high school wrestling and club wrestling. So we wrestled almost year round between club and high school. In, in our club, we allowed kids from anywhere all over the area and our club season was really long so we spent much more time with these kids the high school season was fairly short but in our club we were training our our competition i mean we had kids from all, mm-hmm. all the other schools that we had to compete against that were in our club with us so for most of the year we were kind of on the same team but then during the high school season we were competitors and you know, a lot of people said, well, well, why don't you just make your club your just your high school and then you'll get even better? And I said, well, we might win uh, no, more, but we wouldn't get better. We get better by bringing everybody in and making everybody right. better. And then that forces everybody else to get that's That's the essence of competition. So I kind of take the same approach in business. I, I'll teach everybody yeah, everything I know. I raises all ships. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. And I say that I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek. Yeah. Right. Um. I, obviously, but but there is, uh, you know, there are some people that resist. Uh, you know, you, you know what Joel was saying. You know, uh, about hauling cheap freight, or I don't want to haul a, a pumpkin trailer, or whatever. <laughs> you know, that's all fine and good. You know, if it doesn't work for your for your business duty cycle for your business operations or your psyche, I really don't care, um, then just don't do it. But what what we do at Alpha Drivers is provide education to help everybody get better. And, you know, yes. it's kind of like listening to your show 12 years ago or 14, 15 years ago when I started in this industry. Uh, you know, 80% of whatever was discussed on your show and oil samples and way back when, you know, I could adapt. The other 20% didn't apply. Right. Uh, so, so take what works, leave the rest, and move on. You know, uh, and it's the same way with what we offer on this show. In my mind, it's what we offer with Alpha Drivers. It's what we recommend with Volvo Trucks or, you know, Henry with Freightliner. You know, if it doesn't work, move on. Yeah. Take the, yeah. Take the gems that, that apply and, and can be useful for you. And disregard the rest. You know, I'm going to take this one step further in how wrong we get this down at the small end of the market. Not only are we not willing to like, when I say we, I mean just a lot of people on the small end of the market look at these options for being more efficient, more profitable. Joel, I think you said it earlier. Um, you were talking specifically about fuel mileage, but it applies to almost every area that they just don't think it's going to make a difference. They don't understand right. that it does make a difference. When you make a better decision, you'll get better results. But but a lot of people act like, oh, well, why bother? It doesn't help to slow down two miles an hour, or it's not going to make a difference if I go take that broker to lunch, or it won't matter if I'm really tracking my profit. But it does matter. 
It always matters. Now, instead of embracing that and actually benefiting from it, they do the opposite. How often do you hear these small carriers, owner operators, drivers bitching about the ATA or the TIA or the TCA? Well, look, I'm not going to tell you that the ATA is here for you. They're not. They're here for their members (laughs) and their members get together and they share information with their competition. They do it all the time. They share best practices so everybody gets better. And here you are, you make fun of them and bitch at them about it and never take advantage of you could be doing the same thing. Here's the thing about ATA and, you know, a lot of owner-operators, they're they're ready to fight when you say ATA. I know. They're out to to screw us and put us out of listen. No, they're not. I look at an ATA ATA agenda, there will be 70% of the stuff on there that I personally may not agree with. But there is always, always something I can learn that I can apply to my operation, even though I may not agree with their overarching agenda. I may totally disagree with whatever they're trying to accomplish or whatever they're trying to achieve, but there will be things inside that agenda operationally that will absolutely apply to me. So in this industry, we need to learn to disagree civilly and still look at what everybody else is doing, even though you disagree with it, because I'll guarantee you there's going to be something in that within that disagreement that you can pull out of that and use in your own operation. And when you dismiss an organization that has that much brain power, money, and talent, just because you think that they're opposed to owner operators, which I don't think they are, but they're not. their policies may not <laughs> they may not generally benefit us. Um, right, but you have to look I, there's at always something to be learned there. At why they didn't create that policy to disagree yes, I, with I, owner I, operators. I, I, they they created that policy because it works for their members. They weren't them. thinking about owner operators. Why would they? I, I agree. I, I agree. Well, and here's the thing. Just like Brent was saying that there's all this opportunity in the power-only market, that power-only market, you're talking about Schneider, J.B. Hunt, and and companies like that, they need successful owner-operators in order to to keep them moving. It's good for them. um, It it, it is. It is. A healthy market, clear across the board, is good for everybody. It opens up opportunity both ways. And, and, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in, I'm driving this classic truck and I'm only pulling this color trailer and, and this is five miles a gallon. If I have to worry about fuel prices, I'm hauling the wrong freight. You know, it takes no real brain power to, to figure that out. It's just a simple way to look at business. And I think often... This is why guys go down that path. They don't have to think about it. Don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Hey, Joel, you forgot the number of lights on the trailer on the side. Well, there's there's always the monochrome and the lights and and uh, yeah. it it's just it just amazes me though that especially when a guy will say that's been in business for a long time, if you have to worry about fuel economy, you're hauling the wrong freight. <laughs> I, I, every and, and I don't know why I am so. I'm so flabbergasted by that every time I hear it, but every single time I hear that, I just I, like, are you kidding me? I know it, it, you it, really, it is you really such just an ignorant that. statement. Yeah. I know. Uh. <laughs>
Yeah. All right. I love those guys. We're, we need to get to some phone calls because they're piling up on us. Obviously, people You know are, when they uh, say ignorance is bliss. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> they, obviously, they want to jump in, so let's get to some calls. Let's go to George. Uh, Scott, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Uh, Joel's getting a little fired up this morning. Yeah, that's good, though. We like that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard him. That. I haven't been listening to the show too long, but I don't know if I've ever heard him that excited. So. <laughs> yeah, it's Friday. I've been a lot on my mind here the last couple of days. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Hey, uh, just a, a quick question. I mean, I've, I've talked to you a few times, Kevin, about health, but this is more about uh, I've always considered getting my own truck, uh, been saving up for it, um, wanted to get you guys' opinion as far as I've got about 146000 saved up right now. Uh, of course, I'm not going to spend that all on a truck. What I mean, what kind of price should I be looking at as far as buying a truck? Should I be looking at a thirty, forty thousand dollar truck? I think taking in, to Pittsburgh Power, let them do it. So, based on some information you've already given me, so you know, I, I always kind of qualify some of these answers because I might get the exact same question on the next call, and I'll answer it differently because it's the information I'm hearing. I, I heard you saved $146,000. That's really unusual yeah. in this market. I don't often get to work with people that have been that disciplined with their finances. So I'm answering this based on the little bit of information I already have. Uh, I think in today's market for a first time owner operator that 50,000 would be my cap. You can buy some really nice, efficient trucks that are a real value under 50000 in today's market. You could afford more, but, but why? I mean, it, it, you're not going to spend 80000 and really improve your efficiency all that much. We'd have to go to brand new, spec exactly the way we want it. So, you know, it, it, first truck, the market we're in right now, there's still some... I think there's still some landmines out there that we haven't seen yet. Things could get worse before they get better. Um, I would say that if, if I were you, I'd be looking at a budget of 50000 or less. I'm, okay. I'm agreeing with that. I was, I, I was thinking thirty to fifty. dollars yeah. um, hey, That was fact, actually was, my was range, just, thirty to fifty. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was just looking through some of the used equipment that uh, Schneider had for sale. I mean, that would be a, a great place to go to start. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. look, I'm a Volvo guy. I'm a Volvo guy, but that Cascadia with the DD15 that they spec and the way they spec it is extremely efficient, very capable of nine miles a gallon when when you uh, apply some some skill to it. Uh, great trucks, and they're in the $30,000 range. Yeah, so, that's hard um, to beat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and then, so, well, because my... My whole thought process has been, and my wife, she's been wanting me to jump into it, but I've only been driving for two years uh, with a company, and um, my whole my whole thought process was, you know, I should probably have about three hundred thousand saved before I jump into this, just because I don't know I don't know where I came up with that number, but let, let me let me kind of caution you against that. I, okay. You know, there are extremes in every direction. I. I 
I don't want to see somebody start a business with zero capital, even though I did yeah. it and many of us didn't succeed. It, it's not worth the risk. There's too much risk starting that way. But I also have right. seen people make huge mistakes because they had too much money. Okay. I'm not a huge fan. Now, if somebody has a ton of business experience and they're also very disciplined in their choices, then there's no such thing as too much money. But if you don't have a lot of business experience and, and you, you haven't been through this, I have seen people make horrible decisions because they can, <laughs> yeah. because they have so yep. much money. And what, well, what I've seen, what I've seen multiple times, when you're packing that kind of cash and you get people that find out you're packing that kind of cash, they're going to be talking you into some stuff. That's that you a good point. Doing, good and point. They're, they're going to make it you're sound, right. they're going to make it sound wonderful. So I, I agree yeah. with Kevin here. You've got to be very, very careful when, when you have that kind of reserves. Um, uh, you, you, you end up, a lot of times it just, you end up stepping in more shit than you avoid when, when you yeah. have that luxury. So uh, you're spot so on, you? Kevin, no doubt about it. But let me ask you that question real quick. What are you saying as far as, like, having too much cash? I mean, because to me it doesn't seem like a lot just in case something catastrophic was to happen or something with my first truck. Uh, give give, give so me I'm an example. To, Hold on. Hold on. Give me an example mm-hmm. of catastrophic. Give you an example? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my engine blows up. Okay, so what? Okay. Engines blow up all the time. We, we, we rebuild them. We replace them. Um, that, that, you're right, that is, would be considered catastrophic. It's one of the worst things we could deal with. I don't need $300,000 to deal with that. Right, yes, because here's right. what will happen. Right. You, go, you go into a dealership to get your engine overhauled and your truck that just blew up, blew up. if that sales guy knows that you're setting on that kind of he's going to do everything he can to talk you and buy a new truck instead of you know so you yeah. you just you're going to have to deal with that press and if hey. you're disciplined and and you can tell them to go pound salt you're you're okay but Let's, quite often if you're new jumping into business with that type of money it, it can it can well, be a challenge let's no also look at the odds of that catastrophic event happening let's take the the example of the trucks joel was just talking about these 30 40 thousand dollar trucks uh coming off a fleet like yeah. like schneider or wherever out of 100 of those trucks my guess is we might never see two of them that would lose an engine before it should. Okay. Okay. It, it's rare. It, it really is. And, and there, there, we can protect ourselves in many ways against it. We All the things I talk about in my program for buying a truck. We do a rig dig report so we get all the history on it. We go find all the maintenance right. records we can. We do an oil analysis. We, do, we pull an ECM dump and go through all the ECM data. We can look at those things and say, my God, the odds of this thing losing an engine are astronomical. Right. Well, and my other thing is, um, I was also thinking about, I've heard that uh, Blue Ribbon is kind of a good company to kind of get your feet wet with, um, or not not Blue Ribbon, uh, Landstar. Yeah, I, I'm always listening to Blue Ribbon Logistics Podcast. So, um, are you familiar I heard, with... I heard they're a good company. Are you familiar with um, the history of, of Blue Ribbon? Yeah, with Larry, he was, yeah, he'd never been in trucking before. Yeah. Do you know what else? Um, pay cash for a truck. Well, 
Everything that Larry, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm not, I have to be careful when I say this. I'm not trying to take credit for what Larry's doing. Larry came to the CMC his first couple of years in the trucking industry. He came out of photography. Right. He had a great photography right. business, and photography right. has kind of died, and that happened over a decade ago. And Larry got into trucking, came to our CMC, our training event, and we actually made Larry our official photographer. So Larry has oh, been okay. to probably... I don't know, seven or eight CMCs, it seems like, a lot of them. Um, and okay. that's where his program came from. So oh, okay. here's, something, okay. here's something, some perspective for you, if you want it. You may want to talk to Alec off the air a little bit. Um, Alec actually had a truck with, um, shit, I can't say your name. Alec, who are you with? <laughs> Man, we're <playing> <laughs> Um, I love it. Uh, Landstar. Alec had a truck with Landstar, and okay. he's also now uh, working very diligently with with Schneider. And you know he can he can contrast and compare that for you, and, and just say here's here's what kind of the differences are between the the two companies, and and that that may be helpful for you. So uh, you yeah. may want to have okay. that discussion yeah, with hey. Alec. We just got Alex uh, back in, but but would but, you uh, would you suggest I take your CMC, Kevin, before I before I was, dive into this? That was about to be my next statement. Is <laughs> if you want to learn all the same things that Blue Ribbon learned over the years, and then Larry went on. He's got his own stuff now. He's done an amazing job over there. Uh, but he, I, I will take make the claim that he got his foundation from the CMC. So, yeah, if you right. want access to all that same information, plus some. I mean, the new CMC 2.0 has got about twice as much information as the original CMC did. That's why it's taken us a whole year now. That program is going to take an entire year. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm just, I just have this, uh, I don't know, man. It's just fear taking over. I mean, I know I've got the money, and but it's just this fear that I have. I guess, I don't know. It's probably Scott. from listening to all the people tell me all the time I shouldn't do what I'm about to do, but I, I normally don't take people's advice when they tell me stuff like that. Um, I, I could make a guarantee that if you went through my CMC program, you'd succeed. Pull, pull the trigger on this, I think, because you've got the right attitude. Yep. There is no doubt about that because... Generally, when I hear a guy that's kind of new into trucking say, I've got two years' experience, he thinks he's a four-million-mile driver. <laughs> um, they're, they're typically broke, haven't saved a dime, and they're looking to do a lease purchase. Yep. And you've, you're, you're already light years ahead of everybody else. Take Kevin's CMC. You will have the confidence at that point to go out there, and you're, you're going to kick ass. Scott, just I... Like Kevin, I'll almost guarantee it, you're going to kick just ass. Just like Joel just said, based on your attitude, what we're hearing from you, what you're saying, uh, this to me is a slam right. dunk. You're only missing one thing right now. And you're only missing one... Just information. Just knowledge. And you could do two things. Yeah. You could jump into business and just wing it and try to learn as much as you can, as fast as you can, make a whole bunch of mistakes because that's how you learn. Try not to make big mistakes that'll put you out of business. And a year or two from now, you'll be doing great. Or you can take one more step, 
and go through the CMC and take out about 90% of the risk. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate y'all's input, man. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm just, it's just a nerve. It's just more of a nervous thing. I have Good. a guaranteed income kind of with, you know, driving for a Good. company and it's just like, man, okay. do I want to, do, do I really want to jump into this? And Scott, just like, right. Joel, just hold on one more thing. Just like Joel said earlier, that fear that you are showing, that hesitancy, that that thought process that says, well, I think I'm ready for this, but maybe not. I'm a little scared. I love that you have that attitude. That's what's going to make you successful. You're not the guy that says, hey, I've been doing this for six months. I know what the hell I'm doing and, and runs out and signs a lease purchase. And he thinks he can't possibly fail. You've got the opposite mindset, and that's what makes the difference. All right. I appreciate that. Yeah, worrying about failing, is, is a, that's a powerful thing. That will keep you out of a lot of trouble. It sure will. It sure okay. will. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all's input. I'll, uh, I'll keep calling. I'll keep you updated on what I'm doing. Excellent. I'll look forward to it. Let's, uh, let's go to Florida. Tony, good morning. What's on your mind today? Even with the mathematical background I have, y'all are kicking my ass with all of these factors that go into fuel economy. I think I have just made a breakthrough, though. Am I correct in saying that speed is the number one factor uh, that relates to fuel economy? I don't see how you could argue that it's not because it affects almost every other factor of fuel economy. So if we look at the physics of fuel economy and and I've broken it down into a couple areas, aerodynamics, mechanical resistance, rolling resistance, the thermal efficiency of the engine itself, which gets much more complicated, which is where Joel's you know, focus has been, and that's how we've learned so much about that. But set that, that engine part aside for a second. Everything else that, that has a big impact on fuel economy is absolutely impacted by going faster. Every, every one of those physics issues gets worse as you go faster, and they're not straight-line calculations. They're, they're, you want to know how stupid I am? I actually thought that I could go in and say everybody wants to go 70 miles an hour in Joel's truck, and they will get 10 miles to the gallon. That is because I thought it was... Um, that, that that rear axle ratio will help them out. And it will, but not if they go 55. 55, that is what that truck was made for, and that is where it will get 12 miles to the gallon. You cannot go 70 miles an hour in that truck and still get 11 miles to the gallon. Is that right? Well, you got to be careful making blanket statements of any kind because we'll be able to find an exception. So the, the thing to remember about all of this is it is all very nuanced. There, there are no blanket statements that work, and we should keep an open mind when we're talking about all of this. Okay, here's a blanket statement. That, uh, how about this? The way it seems like to me 
is that if you go 55, you are going to maximize your fuel economy. Uh, that would be Joel's truck either way. If you go 60, you're going to get worse fuel economy no matter what truck it is, but still, that's Joel's truck. If yeah. you want to go 65, you're going a little bit less fuel economy now. We're talking fuel economy, not profit. That's that's later. Right. Still, you're in Joel's truck for that. Correct. Joel's truck, either way, if you want to go 80 miles an hour, you're still in Joel's truck. That truck is going to get the best fuel economy no matter. That's my blanket statement. Where am I wrong? So, well, so I, you're, you're, you're correct. What's your, well, no, no, listen. What he's talking about here is the efficiency range. Yes. No, I agree. I'm agreeing I think, with I him. Think, yes. What yeah. he's saying is, is that obviously the slower you go, the higher the fuel efficiency number is, but the lower your productivity number may end up. Yep. So you're balancing efficiency and productivity, and the iTorque gives you the widest range in the industry to allow you to achieve that balance. So if you have a customer that requires higher speed, you're still going to get the best potential efficiency at high speed with an iTorque. If you're able to slow it down, it's going to be even better. So you're, you're exactly right. It allows you to strike that balance over a wider range. Hey, let me give you an example where in, in my operation, one, you couldn't do this back then. We didn't have the drive lines to be able to do it. We, we can now. That's why we talk so much about this option. But in my operation, I didn't need that kind of flexibility. At being at FedEx with dedicated runs, whether I had a day run that was 500 miles out and back, or I had um, the Orlando to L.A. team run once a week, that truck that I ran on that L.A. team run was governed at 57 miles an hour. And it worked because we have plenty of time in that operation to, to run that speed and still make all your cutoff times without any problem. So why not run that speed? And that's all that truck did. It was a dedicated run. I, I don't need flexibility in that truck. I know exactly what it's going to be doing, and I want to make it as efficient as I possibly could. But... Joel's taken a, a different approach that shows now how you can spec trucks to be wildly flexible. We could pull that truck off one operation, move it right into several other operations, and it's still the most efficient truck we could have. And that's the key. What you're talking about right there is the key. You know, I, I've told this story multiple times. I used to be a direct drive guy. Come hell or high water, my truck was going to be direct drive. And it was going to do just exactly what Kevin was talking about. It was going to run 57 mile an hour. And then I expected the industry to kind of bend to my vision of 57 <laughs> mile an hour efficiency. And it, it, you can make it work as an owner operator. It will not work as a fleet. And when you find out as an owner operator that you have to combine uh, versatility with efficiency, Kevin, you're exactly right. You can go from an operation that requires a 47-mile-an-hour average speed to one that requires a 60-mile-an-hour average speed. Obviously, the lower average will have higher fuel efficiency, but maybe the one that requires the faster average pays, pays better more. per mile, so right. you always balance that. And this truck mm -hmm. allows you to strike that balance anywhere from 55 to 80 mile an hour.
So now if I'm an owner-operator, and for those that don't know, um, this is I Hate Brokers Trucking. I have my authority. I'm specking a truck. Uh, I want to go pay 70 miles an hour. Uh, I, I need to look no further. Like, there is not any other truck coming, uh, Matt, the International Freightliner. There is not any other truck that I need to look for at any speed. If I'm an owner-operator, I want to do that 55-mile-an-hour uh, California. Uh, there, there's only one truck that we've narrowed down for all of these operations. Where am I wrong? You're, you're not. not wrong. Currently, yeah. that is correct. <laughs> you're not. Again, you know this. No, you nailed it, hey, Joel. Let's think about this, okay, Alec. So now this, this, this is the first time in kind of trucking history. We all three of us go back long enough to know this that we could now make the claim. And as soon as I make this, I, I, I can hear people already are going to be screaming at the radio. You would have never, ever heard me make a statement like this five years ago or 10 years ago. And if somebody else made this statement, I would have ridiculed them. But the statement would be, I could say right now that if you want to achieve the maximum fuel economy in almost any operation I can think of, I'm sure there's going to be some exception out there, but not many. If you want the maximum fuel mileage you can possibly get, no matter what the operation is going to be, I would make the claim that you need to start with the Volvo platform. Now, we're going to spec it different depending on what the operations are, but I, I don't know that there's any other platform that we could achieve the same kind of results today. And that, that's something we've never said in this industry before. If somebody said, oh, you should buy a Volvo because they get the best fuel economy, I used to laugh at them. What are you talking about? What engine are we putting in here? What transmission? Which differentials? What tires are we running? Well, now the, these, the, the Volvo platform is becoming so proprietary that I, I will make the statement now. I, I don't think there's any other truck you could spec that would get better fuel economy. I don't think you could spec a truck to get the same fuel economy. Volvo has done a hell of a job at this. We've been right, working so, on by the, way, the, the iTorque yeah. concept for over a decade, and this was kind of born on a napkin um, sitting at a bar after a truck show. I'll bet. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was sitting there with one of, the, one of the engineers that I worked with, and we got talking about piston speed and down speeding and, and all kinds of things, and we started – you know, back and forth, and he started running numbers, and the next thing you knew, we were re-ratioing trucks, and we just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and then we understood, we understood the advantages out in the real world that flexibility brought to efficiency. Everybody makes an efficient truck today. Everybody does. Right. Nobody can do it over the same range of speed that Volvo can currently do it. We have the widest efficient, about 33% wider than what your typical average truck has, uh, the efficiency range. Anything else, Tony? Well, yeah, you made a statement before everybody starts yelling at me, um, maybe a couple Fridays ago about, and I totally missed it, as good as I am at math, I cannot believe how stupid I am when I listen to this show, that fuel economy transfers directly to the bottom line. I miss that. Tony, I everybody mean, misses that. Me, everybody misses it that. It auto-calculates, like, you have to be a total moron to miss that when you're calculating. So thank God it, it auto-calculates, but... 
the part, remember where you went in and said, um, for that guy that goes 70, I can haul an extra load, blah, 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 and I need to make $300. You made the statement, no, you don't need to make $300. You need to profit $1,000. I'm calling full sit on that. Uh, no, you didn't mean profit. You meant growth. Correct. 1000 Correct. Correct. In other words, yeah, there are people out there thinking, mm-hmm. well, why should I have to profit an extra percentage? If I used the word profit, profit, I misspoke. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Because I was, I was beside myself, as you can imagine, with, with that. So, yeah, let's just, so, yeah. Um, but But you are correct that... Joel, how many times do you try to explain this to somebody? Alec, I know you've done it too. And when you finish the sentence, you get that deer in the headlights look where you know they didn't get it. Almost almost every time. When you start to talk about fuel economy transfers directly to the bottom line and revenue is a top line number, 95% of the people you, you're talking to, they just kind of want to walk away at that point. Even <laughs> after I mean? you've and explained it to them, you can yes. tell that's not registering. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. Well, and that's okay. I mean, sometimes you have to go through an example and show that only 28% of the revenue, the top line number, translates to the bottom line number. Yeah. You do that a few times, you know, because, you know, everybody learns at a different pace. But once they get it... It's the aha moment. You say, oh, because that's how you convert, you know, the the people that, you know, say, well, we get this, you know, daily almost right. with, from the hating group. Well, uh, because you drive so slow, you're going to get hit from behind and I'm going to get there sooner and I can get another load. Well, you can only get if you only if you get there at five in the morning, because if you get there at five in the afternoon you're not going to get a load until the next day anyway so right it doesn't that extra speed does not necessarily transfer to revenue producing loads and even if it did it's not enough percent of the time right. uh, of yeah, exactly right and so and as joel you know i i always look at the financials but joel is always the one who says yeah but you're also um you're spending a lot more money in terms of maintenance and repairs, as well as driver stress. And that's something that does not translate to an economic value that's so often overlooked and dispensed with. They, they put zero value on that. You know, we we bring this up all the time, and, and you, you mentioned Joel. Joel, you are the one you that do. talks about this yeah. a lot. Of you know you've you've been the one that keeps hitting that maintenance cost, but yes, the fuel savings are great. Let's not forget the maintenance cost, and you are right. You're absolutely right. And then Alec, you just brought up another one: the health and stress of the driver. I wish we could find a better way to quantify those two things so we could help people understand that better. You're, you're true. That, that's very true. But I get an example um, that, that comes up a lot is the guy who goes 55, because, you know, I look at the logs. <laughs> you know, Travis can go five hours. He's a camel. Yeah. He can go for <laughs> many hours without stopping. He keeps the left door closed. Yeah. And, and yet, <laughs> this happens every week. He'll notice, hey, it's the same whatever truck. He passes me three times, and two days later, you're at the same delivery dock. Right. He's, he's getting there 15 minutes after you. I mean, 
and it happens on a daily basis where, and I'm sure other guys have seen the same thing, where that same truck keeps passing him, the guy who's going 70 miles an hour, you know, tailgating and weaving in and out of traffic, and yet he's got to pull into the rest area or station several times a day. And so, you know, you say, well, how can you quantify it? Well, how many times does he have to pull off and go pee? Because his body is working in such overdrive. You know, you know, another example of this that I actually created a calculator for, and it was pretty shocking. I should dig that thing back up again and start using it. I just figured out one factor that time wise. And I took, you know, if I remember, well, I had a calculator. You could run any two different speeds to figure this out. But what it would show was, okay, here's a truck that's going to go 70 miles an hour all the time. That's just like his speed. As soon as he gets on the interstate, he's going 70. Um, And here's a truck that instead of going 70, they're going to go 60. And you know what I calculated for the year? How many more times? Now, these two trucks could be absolutely identical and the drivers could be identical. Take out all the other factors. Going 10 more miles an hour means you're going to use, you know, you're going to get one mile per gallon less. And I calculated how many more times in a year you have to stop to get fuel. Mm. Yes. No, you're, you're exactly right. There is, there's a disconnect in the industry, especially amongst owner operators and small fleets where we just like to think of everything in terms of gross and not net. Yes. We don't understand our numbers. We do that with the financials. We talk about gross, you know, we think we're knocking out of the ballpark and very few people actually understand their net. The same thing happens with speed. There is the gross speed, just what you're talking about, 70 and 60. And then there's that true overall average, yes. which I call the net speed. And there is a, a phenomenon in there called speed degradation. And the yeah. further you get the delta becomes from your from 55 on your cruise set speed, uh, your average just doesn't progress in a linear fashion. It, right. it just doesn't do it. Because exactly what you're talking about, hey, Kevin, number one, when you have a 70-mile-an-hour truck, you think, well, I've got a little more time to sit at the truck stop and eat. You just do. You fuel more. You're running into traffic more often and having to apply the brakes, and then it takes longer to get up to speed. (laughs) There's multiple, multiple reasons for this degradation, but we always look at it as, okay, 70 times X amount of hours, I'm going this much further than you, and that almost never happens. Right. Yep. Well, Kevin, uh, and let me know if this, this feedback is really bad, and I'll cut it off. But I would like to talk to Alex offline if I I would be able to before I forget. Um, but after that, I remember you asked me what is your fuel economy right now. How come you do not know what it is? I lied to you. I said it was seven point oh. And well, what do you mean? Uh, what do you mean seven? Well, I said between six point nine and seven point one. You're like, yeah, yeah. I looked it up and, and I lied. It's seven point five. Sorry. Well, see, um, see, we got to be accurate. <laughs> yeah. Now, but right now, we have owner operators listening to the show right now that like me. Okay, they're in a pack car coming going sixty to save fuel. Now they can get a truck where they can go seventy seventy five and get better fuel economy. They may not realize that. Um, 
I, I'm going to make a statement, Joel. You, you tell me what your experience has been on this. I, I'm sure we could mm-hmm. find some extreme situation where a truck was specced so wrong that somehow it does actually get slightly better fuel economy going faster. But I, I have found that to be so rare that it's not even worth talking about. That, that, that somebody will say, well, no, I've tried it so many times. At 65, I get this, but at 70, I actually get better. We used to talk about this a lot. I actually had identified the reason for this most of the time. As soon as somebody called me with that statement, I would say, you better check your charge air cooler. It's probably leaking. <laughs> It was one of the yep. factors that with a leaking charge air cooler going faster and increasing the RPM and the boost actually could help overcome the leak. And you might see a small improvement so, going faster, but it, even that was pretty rare. So, Kevin, what you're saying is exactly spot on when you are comparing traditionally geared trucks versus traditionally geared trucks. Here's kind of the the outlier that people have a hard time getting their head around when we talk about a downsped powertrain, and especially like the iTorque when we get aggressively downsped. In the past, with traditional gearing, if we were going 65 mile an hour or 70 and you let your foot off the accelerator, it kind of feels like the engine brake. You can feel the truck slow right down. So then we have to step back on the accelerator and you have that moment of inertia. And that is very costly. Every time you have that moment, it's going to cost you money. So just like aerodynamics, when we down speed the engine, that mechanical efficiency gain is exponential. And so now in a downsped truck, when we're going 70 mile an hour and we let off the accelerate, that truck don't slow down. It, it keeps on a rolling. Very it'll get free you up rolling. and over the next hill. So you have less average horsepower at higher speeds. So if you're going to compare a traditionally geared truck to an aggressively downsped truck, you can now make the statement, I can go faster and get better fuel mileage. And and that's kind of what I was trying to demonstrate in that, that face or that uh, X post right. that I put up yep. where I compared the two different trucks. And this is why it's important sometimes to compare apples to oranges. Just what the gentleman's saying here. Um, I I think we can go faster and get better fuel mileage. You absolutely can when you're aggressively downsped. But if you're comparing two traditional trucks, that's not going to happen. And so, you know, you may top out at, in a traditionally geared truck, let's say seven and a half miles a gallon at 62 mile an hour. Let's just throw that number out there. Let's say that's the number. With my aggressively downsped truck, I'm going to get eight and a half miles a gallon at 75. And if I slow down to 62, I'm going to get 10 and a half. So, you know, this, this, this downsped uh, concept really, really is having a significant impact on the fuel efficiency at higher speeds. It's getting much better. At the end of the day, though, when you're looking at a downsped powertrain, if you go a little slower, it's going to get a little bit better fuel mileage. It's going to be very good across the entire operating range. And by the way, it's Tony. Uh, I'm on Facebook as Anthony Schubert. Uh, I hate brokers trucking. That's not the real name, but Kevin, you asked me if that was me on the uh, on Broker Connect with that lady who who remembered my name. That was me. 
I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but yeah. Hey, hey, Tony, you know what's funny about that? Uh-huh. Right, right this minute as you were saying that, I'm actually chatting with her on LinkedIn. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Before I forget, though, you, and, and I'm scared as what she remembers about that conversation that I that I don't. Uh, I hope I didn't say she doesn't have the right to exist as a broker, not as a person. No, she was, she was very impressed right. with you. She said it was a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I come off as a little bit arrogant when it, when it comes to brokers sometimes. But answer just one more thing. You said you would spec a truck differently if you wanted to go 55. How can you spec it differently than 1.9, oh wait, 2.15 years? Who are you saying said they would spec it differently at 55? Uh, yeah, when you were talking about that California run. Oh, yeah, but keep in mind, I didn't have this option. And, and Joel and I have talked about this many, many times. Alec, I'm sure you guys have had conversations about this. When, when Joel says that this, some of this downspeeding stuff comes off of, a, you know, the back of a napkin when he sat down with engineers, we almost everybody who has spent a lot of time working on fuel economy on big trucks came to the same conclusion. We don't have the right driveline options. We, we didn't, at, at some point, we didn't have the right engine architecture. And once we got the right engine architecture, we didn't have the right driveline. We didn't have a transmission that was efficient in three different gears like this. So when I was specking that truck to run 57, for one, I could do that because that's all I wanted the truck to do. It didn't need to be able to do anything else. This is what it was going to do every single day. And if that changed, then I'd go get a different truck. But even if I wanted mm-hmm. to make it more efficient, I couldn't have. The options weren't available. They are now. Now, here's where I'm an idiot. Um, why does it matter like what speed you go at? Uh, if you have that low of a aggressively downfed drive line, and I... I assume that means the 2.15 ratio. Uh, sure. What would you think? Like, isn't that the single most determining factor in uh, in, the, in the fuel economy? Like, if you're going to go no. 55, you still would use that ratio. Would you go up for some reason or down just because of, of a different speed? No. Here's here's kind of the disconnect when people are thinking about this. So the rear axle ratio at 2.15 if you have the engine with the proper architecture, I can run 55 in overdrive at 825 RPM, pulling 80,000 pounds on flat ground, no problem at all. Um, not all engines can do that. So you have to gear to the limitations of the engine that you're specking in the truck, number one. Number two is the ultimate determining factor of fuel efficiency is horsepower demand. And horsepower is your, the more horsepower that is required in a specific duty cycle, um, the more fuel you're going to burn. There's no way around that. So we do everything we can to lower the horsepower required at any given speed. And we have to match the limitation of the driveline components and the engine. So that's essentially, in, in my mind right now, Volvo's kind of king at that. They've done a very, very good job with the engine architecture. They've been a 
They've done a very good job at identifying how to lower horsepower demand via reduction in mechanical friction, rolling resistance, and aerodynamics, and then given us an engine that's capable of running at low enough RPM to actually accurately match horsepower applied to horsepower required. That's essentially what you're doing when you're talking about fuel efficiency. Horsepower demand and then horsepower applied. You're, you're trying to match those two as even as possible. When you have a transmission that has a very wide gear spread, it allows you to do that more accurately than a transmission that may have more gears but has a narrower overall ratio. Okay, I'm trying to my best to find any different truck than yours at any of these different combinations and uh, as far as back the engine and I, I'm just failing to do it. The only one that you're going to find that's coming to market will be Navistar's new Scania powertrain that's going to be virtually identical to the Volvo powertrain. They've done a very nice job at looking at what we have done and kind of copying that. So they're going to be they're going to be the only other ones that are there. I would suspect that we're going to see some stuff coming out of Freightliner soon. And I hear that PACR is going to do a redesign on an engine that's going to have a beefed up bottom end and all the architecture things that we're talking about. So I would suspect that you will see. I think you're going to see the whole industry trending in this direction. Uh, over the next couple of years. But right now, clearly, Volvo leads the pack. They own this. They're out in front of it. At this moment in time, nobody's even really close. I have a, a different topic, uh, Kevin, if you're listening. Uh, and before I put myself first in line for, for uh, buying Joel's truck when he sells it, after all this, all this hype that I've created um, <laughs> over that truck, that was funny. I'm not selling, by the way. <laughs> People are learning a lot of information, I think, from this call. Uh, I put myself into competition. Like, I've helped my competition by waiting for the call, doing the listening, all the episodes, learning from you guys, and calling in, of course, while driving. Uh, is that a smart decision? Sure. I, I've, helped, I've helped the competition. Yeah, I'm helping myself, I, but I've also... Uh, free of charge helps a lot of people. You, look, what do you think it, of that? Just thought. I, I think you, yes, absolutely. But here's something else I'll say. Boy, do I take a lot of heat when I say this. One of the reasons I don't mind helping my competition in this industry is because I am competitive. I like being competitive. Keeps things interesting. And honestly... The competition in the small end of this market is so abysmal. It, it, it's, it, if I don't help people, there's almost nobody to compete with. My answer that I thought you were going to say, uh, uh, which I would answer, was that even no matter how much I give to people, I know I'm still going to win. I, yeah, I exactly. That. Well, it, that's kind of what I am saying. I mean, you, you can give away all this information. It's not going to make it any harder to compete. There is so little real competition at the small end of this market. It's almost incredible. Right. And that hey, here's a that good quote. Was... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, here's a good quote, and I have to give Deb Labrie 
at Landstar credit for this. She posted this on Facebook. She says, competition happens at the bottom. Collaborations happen at the top. It's okay to support another person who is doing something similar to you. It won't hurt your business. If anything, it will help you both. That's what I've so always found. I think that's the essence. That's the essence exactly of your business, Kevin. Many years ago, you you helped me when I was wet behind the ears getting into this business, uh, and so I think that, and that's what. Well, frankly, hey, what let's um, let's Joel take and I that to its do with with what we do. Yeah, well, let's take that to its next logical conclusion. I helped you at some point. You then have, you and, and Joel together now have been so hyper-focused on fuel economy. I, this may sound arrogant, but I, there was a time when I thought, I, I doubt that there's anybody in the industry that could teach me much about fuel economy anymore. I, I've spent so much time on this mm-hmm. that I can't find anybody that can help me much anymore. Now, I may be able to go find some engineers who are so hyper-focused on aerodynamics that they may be able to help me learn something new, but it was getting harder and harder to learn something new. Well, now... Because I shared with my competition, you guys have now taken this whole fuel mileage game to uh, to a place I would have never been able to get it to, and now I get to benefit from learning from you guys. Exactly. Yep. So, so it, it's okay, I guess, for yeah. Anthony to to help others because you know a sharp uh, stone makes a sharp knife. There you go. So, or a hard stone. Sorry. So, um, you know. Henry is a prime example. I mean, we we have Volvo. Our competition with Freightliner, yeah, right. but we we're, we're you know we're very much you know on a personal level we're all good friends. Um, we all help each other. It's the nature of it. Yeah. So, uh, Anthony, keep up your your good work. And I'll wait. Uh, I'll wait to get put back into the queue. And uh, before I invite Paul onto the program, that's not my job. So. Let Kevin do it. Why am I putting you back into the queue? Oh, I thought that was the way you get um, Alex uh, offline information. If not, you can just hang up. Now, uh, Alex, do you want to do that? Yeah, that would be fine. Okay, I'll put both of you back into the queue. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. How am I going to do that? Um well, maybe you can get his information, and I can. Yeah, Morgan, uh, if you could grab Morgan, yeah. Morgan, if you could grab Tony's information, and then we will share it with Joel and Alex. So I'll leave him there, so you can do that, and we will go to Alabama. Matt, good morning. Good morning. I made it to Mississippi now. <laughs> Are you telling us we left you on hold for a long time? Are you driving fast? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm still 57. So. <laughs> Hammer down, oh, dude. That's right. <laughs> so I, I just need to know, um, Joel, This I, I'm currently driving my fourth truck, fourth truck I've owned. Mm-hmm. And I'm just shy of, of hitting 4 million miles as an owner-operator. Do I need to buy a mm-hmm. new truck? <laughs> do you do you need to? You never need to, but uh, you know sometimes if Should you're I? in that position, it's it's nice to. Yeah. Well, obviously, my numbers support. I could I could go buy one, no problem, on my business mm-hmm. numbers. But unfortunately, on my personal side, I have different goals. So mm-hmm. uh, that's I another good point. I don't intend on buying one. You know. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's there's never one answer well, for anybody. It, I'm going to that is gonna, true. I'm going to use Kevin's favorite line. It depends. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but uh, for the earlier caller, you know, asking about buying newer or buying his first truck in the price range, I've actually looked. If you go to Truck Paper and just look at Volvo's and punch in six by two, there's actually some really nice deals out there on 18, 19, 20 year models with 400,000 miles for under 50 grand. That, that's and that's kind of why I put the the cost at fifty, the budget at fifty, because I noticed the exact same thing that you can buy. There are some really bargains in that forty to fifty thousand dollar range. Yeah, the interesting thing was there was one out by you, Kevin. Believe um, uh, it was Peterbilt of Portland. So, I just like to hear that backstory. This guy had a very nice, well spec <laughs> and he traded it in at the Peterbilt dealer. At the Peterbilt dealer. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Good point. I think I saw that truck actually. Good, good, good point. Yeah, yeah uh, several weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's still there, but. Uh... Well, he he's just so, trying to, he, he's just trying to do his part to save the world from an overabundance of plastic. That's all. Yep. There you go. And promote, support the fuel surcharge. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of altruistic reasons for that. Yeah, we, we need to make sure the the oil companies still make plenty of profit. So, you know. But, uh, Kevin, on the calculator spreadsheet you were talking about earlier with the trucks running different speeds. Yeah. Because I, I had a copy of that at one point. I don't know if I still do anymore either. But the main point of that one or one of them, you know, it had several factors in there. But, yeah, if everything else is the same and all we're doing is calculating a different speed, which then changes your fuel mileage, which changes your fuel cost. Right. One of the things on that calculator, it calculated if you wanted to net $100,000 a year, at 70 miles an hour, you'd have to run 150,000 miles versus at 60 miles an hour, it was 130 or 120. That's right. And at 55, it was like 100,000 miles a year. That's right. Yeah. To not make you're, the same amount of money, you had to work <laughs> way harder. <laughs> that, that, that was the ultimate point of the calculator when I first started it. And then I remembered throwing in the, well, you're also going to have to stop this many more times for fuel. And when you start looking at it from that perspective, it, it was almost... It, it was very, very hard to say you should drive faster. I mean, the, the only exception was when you, when you find freight that pays more because you have to drive that fast to get it there on time. And, it, and if you're going to take that freight, you better understand how to calculate it to make sure it's really worth it. Yeah, as I say, the calculator, you know, was just everything the same other than the speed. So yeah. that, that's the only way you can compare it because if you start – Adding in all the small stuff, you know, that's where you lose everybody. Right. Um, and like you were saying earlier with top-line numbers versus bottom-line numbers, well, all you got to do is explain the difference on your tax return, the difference between a tax <laughs> deduction and a tax credit. And Matt, I'm not trying to explain that to anybody. I, I, I'm glad you put in that last sentence there because I was about to say, Matt, you want me to try to explain one complicated situation using some other crazy complicated situation. Yeah, that's not going to work. 
oh, come on, everybody does a tax return every year. They should all know this. <laughs> they should all know what Matt should and do is two different things, just like can't and won't. Yeah, it, Matt, you Matt, know. there are still way too many people that make the statement, oh, I, I didn't pay any tax last year. I got a refund. Yep. Uh, And I know, uh, I think it was Scott, the guy who was talking about buying a truck and the deal dealt with uh, Larry Blue Line Logistics. Yeah. I think 150000 he had saved, and I know you guys didn't go there, but the first thought my mind went to is I don't know if he's got any type of retirement account set up, but I would take half of that money, put it away in retirement, take $75,000 to run the business, and if he burns through that, it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> Make that be a spot off. And then he's still got half his money put away. Yeah. No, I, I, I could absolutely agree with that. And he, he doesn't need, even need half of that. But it's nice to know he's got it there. Yep. But, yeah, you, you know, your, your even, idea kind of feeds into what we were talking about. I was saying at some point this might be too much money. It will start to affect your judgment. But if we take, you're right, let's, let's take a big chunk of that because we don't, we don't need all of this. And let's get it committed to retirement and then forget it's there. Yeah. And, and that was your story about too much money, that doesn't change no matter how big the business is. No. Robert Herchebeck on Shark Tank, he talked about that. You know, his first business, sold it, had, you know, fifty hundred million dollars in the bank. Started a second business, uh, was struggling along. Well, let's just throw another million at it. Yep. Until he realized he's burning money and the business is not, it's not coming to life. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. Having too much money is a big problem. Well, here, here's an example of it that I've watched over and over and over. You get somebody who buys their first truck, they work their ass off, they do a lot of things right, they sacrifice, they, they get it really profitable, and then they think, okay, now I'm going to go buy another one, and they do, and their profit starts going down. And their stress levels go through the roof and they're working more than they used to. But they just keep throwing money at that second operation when they don't understand how to run a second truck. Running a second truck is wildly different than running the first truck. And most people just don't. That never clicks with them. So, well, I'm uh, just about to my delivery here, so I'll let you guys move along. All right. We will talk to you again soon. Let's go to Oregon. Benny, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Was that previous caller talking about my Volvo for sale at a Peterbilt dealership in Portland? (laughs) I don't know. Did you trade one in like that? You can answer your own question. That's right. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I guess I have a blue Volvo for sale at a... Peterbilt dealership in Portland. <laughs> Might be that you. Could be it then. What, you want to share the rest of the story? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm in a brand new truck right now. I just, I was just curious about that because it seemed like a coincidence, but huh. I don't know. It's um, but if the first caller wants to buy it, it's a 2018 blue Volvo with a manual 13 speed 308 gears 425 horsepower <laughs> I'm glad you traded it in I, I was just gonna say I don't I don't think that's the one we're all that worried about <laughs> yeah yeah I, I know <laughs> but um it, it's possible
possible you could have moved out of that one into a Peterbilt and not really saw much of a difference in either direction. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, so I got a question for my new truck. Because uh, uh, when we were going over the specs of it, uh, I didn't, we missed the piece where uh, I can have um, manual mode on my gear shifter and um, mm-hmm. the economy performance thing. So I'm just wondering how much am I missing out by not being able to select gears or choose between like economy and performance modes for my fuel economy, or if I should just uh, spend the money and get it. What are you driving for a truck right now? 2024 Volvo Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got 247 and, gears. Uh, overdrive or direct? Overdrive. Overdrive. I would definitely spend the money to upgrade to the performance shifter, and while I was at it, I'd have them install a kickdown pedal as well. It's going to make it much more enjoyable to drive, and you will see a fuel efficiency bump um, when you use the performance mode when you're heavier in kind of demanding terrain. If you're in bigger hills, mountainous terrain, running over mountain passes, that performance mode with the 247 can be your friend for sure. So I, I would I would do that. Okay, because um, I was just wondering if like the performance mode while loaded is a good thing or a bad thing because I go I go out to Tillamook a lot and uh, to mm-hmm. pick up beer, so I'm always 43,000 coming back and mm-hmm. forth to Tillamook. And same with going to Bend, I'm always going over mountain passes, mm-hmm. full loads of beer. So yep. When you're heavy like that on mountain passes, that performance mode can be your friend. Uh, you don't want to use it, obviously, if you're on, on uh, flatland or rolling hills. You're still better off in economy mode. But uh, in that particular area with that kind of weight, you're, you're definitely going to want that performance mode. It, it'll put a smile on your face for sure. But will it, so, but it, it won't affect fuel mileage that much if I put it in performance it, mode it, while climbing? It might, it might even help because it's going to hold, it's probably going to overdrive um, in a range that's a, a little bit more efficient before it picks up direct drive. So what happens when you're in economy mode, you're heavy on a steep grade, a lot of times it'll pull the engine down too low, then it'll make the shift, and it won't be able to pick it back up, and then you're in underdrive. So uh, okay. the performance mode, a lot of times guys will actually see a bump in that very kind of limited situation that you're talking about. Um, I, I, would, I would do that just based on the, the driver satisfaction part of it. Uh, it would not surprise me if you see a bump in fuel efficiency as well. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not really too worried about it. I'm 33 and I drive like Methuselah, so. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, okay. Um, then, uh, do I need to have some uh, program performance mode in it or will it just automatically come with it when if you do the, the the shifter upgrade, they should that should all be included. Uh, the logic and everything, I think that's all included in the price when they do the installation. Uh, do you do you have a shifter on the seat or is it in the dash? It's in the dash. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, you can still do the performance shifter, and uh, I prefer it on the seat myself. Um, some guys don't like it there. If you do the performance and you tell them you want to upgrade, you'll probably have that choice whether you want it in the dash or on the seat. I 
it's just my preference on the seat, but either way works. Right. Okay. And um, that's pretty much it about that then. Awesome. Um, uh, one thing about competition that I was kind of think had a thought about is um, like with Landstar, every single person is in competition with each other essentially, right? Because every single truck is a mm-hmm. different business. Right. Yeah. I mean, and if you look at their environment over there with their agent set up, I'm in competition with the other contractors there. I want to build the relationships with the agents and I want them giving me their best freight. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. No, I was just curious about that because um, I was... You you know, look, at at FedEx, we... We actually had formal competition at FedEx, and it was a big deal. Um, Dedicated runs at FedEx, that's the way you build out a fleet over there and really grow and make a lot of money. Getting a dedicated run was based on a point system, and the point system was based on how well you were as a contractor how how much value did you bring to fedex it, did your equipment look good all the time were your drivers always in uniform and the uniforms look right do you have any uh, service failures did somebody miss an appointment time or, or a drop time um, any accidents or or you know damage to anywhere all those things went to a point system and when a dedicated run came up for bid you used your points to bid for it that's very competitive. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was just kind of sitting there thinking about because, like, within a within a company, if it's a full owner-op company, then you're in competition with each other. Well, I'll, tell though, you, like, I'll tell you something else where yeah. the real competition was over there. It was, I mean, the runs were one thing, but you knew exactly how you needed to get a run. You had to build up enough points to be able to bid for it. Where the the true competition was, and and I kind of got out of that, the real competition was for drivers. And I I had a policy, I absolutely would not hire a driver that worked for another contractor unless the contractor came to me and said, hey, you know, this guy really needs more miles or he needs to be home more often. And, you know, if you've got an opening there, I would not cannibalize drivers from other contractors. But that was rampant over there. I mean, there were constantly people stealing drivers from other contractors. Well, well, I mean, that's all I got, really, so. All right. Thanks for the call. (laughs) Let's head off this time to Alberta. Austin, welcome. Hello? Yes. What's on your mind today? Um, My question would be for Joel. Is he still still on? Yep. I am here. Um, I I have a 2018 Volvo, and I had the camshaft go out on it. And um, mm-hmm. I was talking to Kevin about it, and he said that was pretty rare. And it only ha- I have 750,000 miles, and mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get an opinion on that, what you might think it could have been. So here's the deal on the, the camshafts of the Volvo when they went to common rail in 2018. Is, your, is yours a common rail truck? Yeah, that's what Patrick told me, so yeah. Okay, okay. So here's what happened. Um the initial batch of camshafts on the 
the common rail trucks. They went to a hollow cam with press fit lobes, and they done a single neural on the on the lobe because it was two piece, and they did press it on. And they had a neural on the bottom part of the lobe to kind of lock it into place on the hollow shaft. Uh, they subsequently found out that it, they had to neural both sides, and they have done that since then. So there were some issues with the lobe spinning on the on the shafts in those early model years. Now you will still see it occasionally when guys are not keeping the overhead run uh, often enough or they're not adjusting it correctly um, when they are having it uh, adjusted. So uh, Volvo's not the only manufacturer now with the hollow um, tube camshafts. Uh, Freightliner's done it. Most of the engine manufacturers are going to that type of camshaft because it's significantly lighter. They have less rotating mass in the engine, and it, it contributes to efficiency. Um, so this will be an issue that you will hear about on virtually all the engines going forward, where you're occasionally going to see a, a, a camshaft lobe that has spun. Uh, the best defense nowadays is just to make sure that you're running the overhead every year and that it is actually adjusted correctly. Yeah, sure what it could have been, but it kind of concerned me a little bit, but I guess it's pretty common, so maybe I'm not as concerned. It, it, it happens. I wouldn't call it common. It does happen, and... Um, you know, as you move forward with newer trucks, just making sure that we stay on that overhead and get it adjusted every year and it is adjusted correctly, and it will minimize the chances of a spun camshaft load for sure. Okay. Well, that's all I have, but thank you. Yeah. All right. Yep, Thanks absolutely. for the call. Let's go to Canada. Woody, welcome. Oh, is this me? Coming it in? is. What's on your mind today? Oh, uh, Hi. Well, I was wanted to talk to Joel on that. I've messaged, talked to him a bit on Facebook. Hey, Joel, it's the, uh, it's Greg here. Uh, everybody calls me Woody. Mm-hmm. I was the one that just put on the nine miles per down about the additive. Okay. Uh, the other day there, and uh, talk, wanted to talk to you guys about uh, ordering a truck up in Northern Canada here. I tried because mm-hmm. you gave me some spets to order for a heavy spec kind of, but low downspread mm-hmm. engine. And the mm-hmm. engineers I found with Freightliner and that, I ended up with a Western Star 57X and Volvo mm-hmm. and Mac, they wouldn't even allow it for the weight I haul. Like, when I'm empty, I'm 58,000 empty with my specialized tank. Okay. And they, like, have you ever heard of that before? Like, where they, the engineers so, are like... He, he, here's what happens a lot of times. Um, we'll look at certain ratios and we'll look at the transmission combination in the engine, and everything works except the drive shaft wasn't quite rated for a certain number of newton meters, and uh, the rear axle ratio at a particular uh, gear ratio wasn't rated for the weight. So there can be multiple different small things that might disqualify a setup, and I'm assuming maybe that's what what happened there. Um, refresh my memory on what we talked about in terms of uh, rear axle ratio that you and the weights that you're running. Well, uh, empty, I'm like, I was still in about 58,000 and I'm over mm-hmm. loaded, I'm over like 116,000. 
and sometimes okay. even up to 127,000, uh, okay. depending on the different type trailers. Uh, mm -hmm. And all like on and off road, I haul into like northern mines and up in northern Quebec and Canada. Mm -hmm. And gotcha. uh, I kind of think you might have said a 247, but that was a couple. Like I just got the truck um, three weeks ago, and I, this was way back mm -hmm. in July. I remember you and I talked about it. But. Mm -hmm. So 247, and they've done some work on this. They they have what they call the, I think it's going to be called the heavy-duty iTorque 247. I don't remember exactly what weight that's good to, but it is designed for the heavy haul sector or heavier, um, above 80,000 pounds. I think it that was good up to 125,000 um, and then to get like to 140,000, we ended up having to go a little more traditional because the axle manufacturers would not warranty the axle with like a, a 247 or a 239 at that weight. So there's a lot of moving parts there that you really got to take into consideration when you get into those weights, especially in the area that you're talking about. I'm assuming you got some pretty good grades that you're going up with that as well yeah like 11 percent and that on gravel yep 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the engineers will start to lose their mind when they look at that kind of stuff and be like oh jesus we're we're not even going to try to do you know if he was on flat ground yeah but if he's running that type of grade so um yeah i mean 247 at 125,000 pounds on relatively flat ground is is not an issue but 11 percent grade that completely changes the picture for sure yeah, well, I ended up with a 57 because it's kind of like it was whoever could get me a truck ordered is how I ended up having to go. <laughs> sure, and, sure, uh, absolutely. I ended I up with it. a 57 S, which I had a fantastic gift for and loved it. And I ended up with nice. uh, 58 years, the best they would do. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And, and uh, the direct drive, I'm assuming? I believe so. Yeah, I got like, the DT12 in. Direct drive, yeah. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. And they probably gave you their their version of the, the deeper reduction or the crawler gear in that direct drive, yep. I'm assuming. That's yeah, fair. I got like, that makes the, sense. on me the performance in the off-road, which is I love the yep. off-road mode when I'm actually doing off-road. They make a good product over there. There's no doubt. They, they've done a they've done a very nice job uh, uh, with their with their transmission and, and their powertrain. They they uh, they've got their they got their poop in a group. And, uh, Kevin, you're kind of, you probably laugh at this and shake your head, but I have a fuel, sur uh, not a fuel surcharge, or fuel's capped at like 56 cents a liter with nuts, tops included. Yeah. And, uh, I've had guy other brokers with me that I work with, and they're like, oh, don't worry about fuel efficiency. You know, the fuel's so cheap. And I've told them, I says, you know, if I can knock four cents a mile off, because I don't do long runs, my longest run's like 460 miles round trip. Uh, I says, if I can walk four cents a mile off on my round trips over the year, that's over $3,600 in my pocket. Yeah. And it's like, you, they have no clue about that. You, you know, one of the most frustrating times for me in trucking was when I got really, really good at fuel economy, and then all of my trucks ended up on my FedEx account where fuel economy, as much as I hate to say this, wasn't as nearly as important for us because we only paid a dollar 25 a gallon for fuel no matter what yeah 
if we bought it on the yard, you just paid a dollar twenty-five. If we bought it out on the road and it was six dollars a gallon, we got reimbursed back to a dollar twenty-five. That's how our we didn't yeah, have a fuel surcharge. We had a guaranteed fuel price. Well, that's like all the goofy stuff the government wants to do, leveling the playing field. They took away my biggest competitive advantage. Yeah. Luckily. At some point, they finally changed that. And I've talked about this before. That Boy, you talk about goofy. Um, Joel, Alec, imagine a, a fuel surcharge program that worked like this. You, Your fuel surcharge was not calculated on some index somewhere, like the DOE putting out the fuel price or, you know, Pro uh, uh, Miles putting out a fuel price. Your fuel surcharge was calculated on what you paid for fuel. Gotcha. Well, so you broke up a little bit on that. So right. no matter if if I went and paid six dollars a gallon somewhere, they still corrected me back to a dollar twenty-five a gallon, no matter what. Now when they went to Instead of a guaranteed fuel price, they went to a true fuel surcharge. They still used what you paid for fuel. I actually came up with a spreadsheet, and my drivers would have to log in before they went and got fuel, and they'd have to run the numbers. There were times where it actually made more sense. I was using the ProMiles system not to find the cheapest fuel. Because the cheapest fuel didn't do me any good. There was a formula (laughs) in there. I was trying to find the most expensive fuel because I got more back on my fuel surcharge then. Nobody else understood how that was working. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that, I guess. No, it worked. It was a nice little bonus for me. I would add the drivers would log in, and they would actually search to find the most expensive fuel stop on their run, and that's where they'd get fuel. Yeah. Well, once and two, Kevin, uh, both our guy that was buying his first truck there, my first truck I paid $25,000 for, and I was – it was a Volvo uh, 730, and that was my most profitable truck to date. Yeah, isn't that, yeah. Using, using your numbers. All right. All right like, let, your, uh, your fuel gauges and that. Excellent. Let's do this real quick. Joel, what's the, um, what's the least amount of money you've ever paid for a truck that you actually put on the road and made money with? The least amount? Going all the way back. Of, oh, <laughs> yeah, going all the way back. This was... <laughs> I bought a 1977 Kenworth W900 day cab that had an 892 Detroit, and it had a knock in it at the dealership. I bought that truck for 1500 bucks, took it home, <laughs> dropped the oil pan, found the broken stud on the main bearing cap, jammed it up in there, put an air gun to it, backed out the piece, put a new bolt in it. That thing ran for seven years. because they thought it was they thought the engine was scrap Uh, and they (laughs) just put a a bolt in there and she ran for seven years after that and it was it was landfill service i had a dump trailer hooked up to it and it all construction and demolition debris from a transfer station in cleveland to a landfill in port clinton and uh that absolutely had to be my most profitable truck nice. I have ever bought, I would assume. Sheesh, I, so it was I, pretty cool. Yeah, but, I, I, I but, can't. but how much did you pay for the bolt? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, oh, I, can't, I can't compete with that. My, my best was I paid $7,000 for a truck. 
That's that was the cheapest. That was a uh, 1994 GMC Astro. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, actually, I'm sorry. That was my second truck. I paid fourteen thousand for that one. I paid seven for that. It was a seventy seventy eight white road boss that I bought off roadway. Paid. All right. Yeah. That that and it had two gauges. An air gauge and a speedometer. That was it. Those are the only two gauges on I that truck. It was on, I thought it was on and off. <laughs> it might as well have been. Yeah. And, and Joel, I've told you about this truck before. That was a 6x2. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That yep. had the, it had an airbag. It had a dead tag axle, and it had an airbag yep. between the front axle and the frame, and you could inflate it to get the weight all onto that front axle, and then when you hit high range, it would deflate on its own. Yep, yep, absolutely. In I the 70s. Systems. There was a name for them, and I, I can't remember what the name for that system was, but, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's you know, those LTL companies cool. came up with some pretty unique combinations back then. Another one Roadway had was they built single-axle tractors that you would take the converter dolly because most of these tractors are pulling doubles you would take the converter dolly and run it into the frame of the tractor and it would become your tandem axle that was a jeff lock yeah that's right forgot about that term yep yeah yep that's what that was pretty cool stuff yeah it was all right woody anything else uh nope well, you guys have a good date. All right. Good talking to you. Let's go to Utah. Brent, welcome. Is that me, Kevin? You broke up. It is. Yeah, what's on your mind today? Well, I talked to you a few weeks ago um, in one of the coaching sessions talking about buying a new truck, and you suggested I should probably be on with you and Joel together to talk about uh, for my specific duty cycle. Yes. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Um, so currently, uh, the the work that I'm doing is mostly agricultural products, mostly local, uh, within a 150-mile radius. I'm, I'm driving a four-axle Freightliner tractor, uh, 8x4. So I'm looking at, at buying a new Volvo, wanting to spec it uh, the best way I can, just, you know, for this duty cycle. I've had two new Volvos in the past um, with different gear ratios and and so i in i had been thinking about doing one of those but this i twerk thing's got me intrigued i think it's probably going to be better for much of what i do uh like i say probably about nine months of the year i'm doing the local work the other three to four months of the year um i do a lot of you know five six hundred mile range loads but almost everything i do i get paid by the weight uh so and, and a lot, like I say, the local stuff, that's one way. So I'm getting paid uh, to go down with the weight, and then I'm empty coming back. So uh, like on this setup right now, I'm eight axles. But when I'm empty, like right now, I've only got three axles on the ground, uh, or four, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, long story short, I'm just trying to spec a Volvo here uh, based on your recommendations. But I, I've been contemplating like whether I would stick with a four-axle tractor or whether I would go to the three Kevin had me do some homework talking a little bit about how much revenue I might lose if I didn't order a four-axle tractor. Um, it's it's not as much as I was thinking it was going to be because I still have the four-axle trailer, so I'm still able to 
to uh, pack most of the weight, but looks like a probably it'd probably be somewhere between twelve and eighteen thousand dollars a year in lost revenue. But that could be minimal minimized based on the weight of the truck because. Uh, I'm looking at losing 8,000 total gross weight opportunity, but the axle itself weighs close to 2,000. And so, I'm not sure what the what the new truck's going to weigh compared to this one. Your revenue that you're you're talking about is that net revenue or gross revenue? That's going to be gross revenue based on the. So, like right now, the the way this truck's set up, I'm legal to haul 105,000. If I lose that left axle, I'll be legal for 97. Mm-hmm. And and so how much did you say your your well, gross wait, your gross that you would lose was going to be? Between between 12 and 15,000 for losing that axle. And, but like I say, it could be it could be skewed a little bit from that yeah. based on just because the axle itself is weighing. It sounds like it. That. So really, I'm only. Yeah, it sounds like it would be fairly significantly skewed. It sounds to me like, based on what you just told me, I don't think I would want that fourth axle. Yeah, and that's kind of the way I'm leaning. Uh, so just trying to get some verification there. But mostly that's the way I was so, planning on going. Was let me just jump in here for a second. So so if, if you lost $12,000 a year in revenue, approximately using the uh, ATBS average of 28% going to the bottom line that brings you down to 3360 right net yeah so that's where i think kevin was jumping in with, with the weight right. of <laughs> and i'm and i'm with him yeah. uh, i i'm, I'm on, like ready I'm to say ditch the axle yeah yeah, um, that's what I'm thinking too. Because on top of that, you've got the maintenance and stuff that goes with it, extra set of tires and so on. So, so well, that's yeah. kind of the way I've been leaning myself. And and the Rolling other resistance, everything. The yeah, there's the other factor. Yeah. We think about how much this screws up our aerodynamics, how much it changes yes. our weight, it changes our mechanical resistance, it changes our rolling resistance, and um, not that I put a heavy emphasis on what we're going to do with this truck when we're done with it, but that that's not an easy truck to get rid of sometimes either. It's not a big market for that truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, just, I, just to drive home a point really quick, right there is a great example if you are always thinking in terms of, of your gross and, and not your net. That gross number looks pretty significant. You'd right. be thinking, oh, man, I, I better keep that. But when you look at the pass-through, <laughs> yeah. it becomes pretty obvious. I shouldn't be doing that. Right. So, well, right. Okay. Yeah. And, honestly, that's kind of where I've been all along. The only reason I ended up with this truck was I, I bought it because it was a good deal. Um, I, I only intended mm-hmm. on keeping it for a short period of time, and now I'm I'm four years into it. And I, I don't think Henry's here today, so I can say this. I, it's, it was never a truck I wanted, and I had no intentions of keeping it. So that's the second reason I'm looking at getting that new one. I've just been dragging my feet waiting to see what things have ha- were going to happen. Uh, with so you're going to be running up, so up to nine, 96,000 pounds gross combination vehicle weight in a generally local um, or short regional operation with occasional um, runs out to five to 600 miles. Is that what you're telling me? Yep, exactly. Okay, so the 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 torque as I run it right now is good to eighty thousand pounds. So they have the the two forty seven variant of the torque, which I'll just call torque heavy duty. I don't know if they have an official name for it yet, and that will cover you up to ninety six thousand pounds. 
and I, I think it'll probably do you a little bit better. This is one of the few times, because you're doing a lot of very short or local stuff where you're accelerating a lot, where I'm going to tell you that the down speeding would probably work against you a little bit because of all the stopping and starting that you're doing. The 247 is probably going to be your friend in this instance. Um, okay. And it's still going to be very good out on the road, not quite as good as the 215, but it's going to be very respectable. Um, but if, if you're telling me the majority of the miles you're running are going to be in and around town, uh, I'm I'm very comfortable with the 247 uh, iTorque setup. You're still going to get the 13-speed. You'll get the deeper reduction. Um, you will be good to about 125,000 pounds, actually, with the, with the 247 I torque and uh, I, I think it'll be a very good fit for your operation. Okay, I I had a two forty seven years ago, but it was a direct drive, um, and mm-hmm. I loved it as far as most of the duty cycle. But yeah, getting out on the freeway running, I, I tend to run sixty eight is where I usually do, yep. and and yeah, so you get up in that that range, and we definitely struggled with fuel economy more. But but it, that being yep. said, I. Of course, it was a different duty cycle, but I, I did better with, with that truck even than I do with this one, I think mostly due to the the aerodynamic things that you were referring. I mean, uh, Kevin was talking about aerodynamics due to the fourth axle and so on, but this truck is it, it's a 286 wheelbase, and that's with a setback axle, you know. Um, it's just oh, a really gotcha. long truck, yeah. so the trailer is yep. a long ways back there. And and yep. mostly what I do is is flat mid stuff. So I mean it's not a economy based deal anyway. But when I do hook up to uh, to my van trailer because I also have a van and a reefer, and when I hook up to one of those, man, I I lose three quarters of a yeah, okay. gallon pulling pulling one of yep. those around. Yeah. Well, you know, there's yep, more absolutely. than than one aerodynamic factor with that axle. There's the distance it might create, which may not be an issue. You may have already such a big gap anyway; it wouldn't matter. But the axle mm-hmm. and the rotating wheels and tires themselves create more dirty air. Yeah. Okay. So the so 247 is, is is the best I can. I, I I mean, it sounds like that's probably going to work best. I, what kind of? Because Kevin gave me that other homework a couple of weeks ago too. We were talking about you know possible fuel economy gains. I mean, like I said, this truck is not specced like a rock star for fuel economy with 308s and and everything, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of did the math based on a uh, two mile per gallon improvement uh, going from six to six and a half to eight to eight and a half. That's what I'm hoping for mm-hmm. or better. Um, mm-hmm. And and I don't do, because I'm local, I don't do a ton of miles. So I know the payoff's going to take a little longer, but based on the math that he gave me, at, you know, I mean, 86,000 miles a year, I'm, I'm looking at somewhere around $1,200 a month uh, in fuel savings at two miles per gallon. And, and I don't really care about that. I can pay for the truck. So I won't really have a payment on it, but, but is that feasible? I mean, what, I know it's a different duty cycle than what you guys do, but I think it's, I think it's reasonable. Uh, so one of the things that uh, you're looking at here, if you go to the new Volvo with the 247, they have a a new power rating on the TC, and it's a 500-1950. And obviously you're not going to really be all that interested in the, the peak horsepower part of it, but the 1,950 pound-feet of torque at 900 RPM that is consistent all the way up to peak horsepower is going to allow you to keep the RPMs lower and in a higher gear while you're running around town 
and still have the same performance. And this is going to be very cool for you. They have the new 24-volt hybrid system that applies to the iShift transmission that gives you 30% faster shifts. So you are going to be able to accelerate to cruise speed using less average horsepower than what they can today with a higher horsepower engine. So it's it's certainly going to be more efficient than than anything that you're you're running today. I, I think that getting into that eight eight and a half mile gallon range is it's completely doable and probably going to improve your productivity on top of it. Awesome. Um, and I think I already know the answer to this, especially with the weights and so so on. I think you've talked about uh, I, when I talked to you last year at the Mid American Truck Show. I just talked to you for just a brief moment, but um, I was interested somewhat in the six by two. But I, I don't think that's going to work very well in my situation where I'm packing the heavier weight. Here's yeah. Here's here's my thoughts on a six by two. Uh, if you are eighty thousand pounds and under duty cycle and you have trailers that do not have spread axles or multiple axles beyond a regular closed tandem, the 6x2 is an excellent choice. Once you get over 80,000 pounds, and especially if you have multiple axle trailers or spreads, it becomes extremely difficult to get 25% of your gross combination vehicle weight on the drive axle. And that is kind of our target that we're always shooting for in order to maintain traction and tire life. It becomes virtually impossible to do it. So you're better off with a high-efficiency 6x4. I would recommend you look really hard at the Dana 247 versus the Meritor. The big difference between a Dana and a Meritor, uh, if you go to a dealer, they're going to say, oh, the efficiency is just about the same on them. And the way the efficiency is tested at full load, they're virtually identical. Where the Dana has the advantage is when the truck is freewheeling or an eco roll or you're going down a hill, the Dana has an efficiency delta over the, the Meritor. So when you're talking about a downsped powertrain, this is a way to kind of leverage that advantage with the Dana axle versus the Meritor. Um, so I would encourage you to look at a, a 247 uh, uh, Dana Dana axle, uh, 6x4 for that. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I, I was mostly interested with the 6x2 because, you know, half of my running is empty, so... I, I get it, but, but yeah. it, it, it's it's going to cause some issues traction-wise and tire life-wise when you're loaded. And let's face it, if you get stuck anywhere with that, uh, having to pull you out with a tow truck, you're going to burn up your, your, your fuel mileage savings. And we know that we cannot meet that traction threshold once we get north of 80,000 pounds with multiple axle trailers. You're just not going to do it. And, and uh, you're going to have the running slip phenomenon that I talk about. You know, John Walker calls it tire overspeeding. So you're going to have some wear issues on that with pulling those kind of weights. And I, I just I, I don't think you get there to have an ROI on it. At best, it'll be a break-even thing, and you'll be working your ass off to do it. So I, I would, as much as I love the 6x2s, I'd advise against it. Okay, makes sense. I know on the 6x2, the uh, the locker is built in. Is that an option, or yep. is it built in on the high-efficiency 6x4? So on the that's another advantage of the day. Now, you can get lockers on both. Uh, with the Meritor, you only get lockers on, on one. 
So um, okay. you, you have to ask for them. I think it's options, but you can get lockers on both. And that's that's exactly what I would do in your application. I get I get them both so they lock. Oh, you would do you would lock both. I would I would get lockers on both. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it's yeah. the the cost is minimal, and it just gives you that much more capability when you're under those heavy loads with multiple axles to get you through some crap if you need to. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then, uh, do you think there's an advantage on going to the heavier steer axle on that setup, or stick with the regular thirteen two is what uh, I usually do? I, I I like the fourteen six. I don't know how close you want to tighten that gap up, but I would uh I would go to fourteen six. Um Volvo has a new smart suspension offering that gives you weight bias and capability on a six by four. Um the main reason they done this was to enable you to bias the weight to an axle that has lockers on it in the event that you only had one. And in that case you're gonna need a little extra axle capacity up front. Um I, w- I would go to the fourteen six. Every truck I spec I put fourteen six on it. Um it just gives you some flexibility uh, in your day to day operations where you may be limited with thirteen two. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And as far as like closing up the gap, I'd like I'd like to, and so I plan to. Um, my previous Volvos were were both pretty short. I, if I remember it, I think they were two twenty one or two twenty three with a that was on seven thirties. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I, I did I did struggle a little bit sometimes hauling some of these steel loads um, with the front overhang. Mm-hmm. So I, I was kind of thinking that maybe I would try to somehow get a a, a larger a fifth wheel slide. Uh, but, but yeah, you can get, oh, that's, that's what I was going to say, road. yes. Get a long yeah. slider for it and, uh, and give your, give yourself that, that flexibility, but to have your front axle on it. Typically I tell the people don't put a slider on it, period, put a fix, but in your case, it, that makes sense if you've got front overhang you're dealing with. So when I spec this, as far as that, that exact part right there when we give them the numbers like the back of cab to front of trailer or whatever is that based mm-hmm. on the most forward position of the fifth wheel or how is that how do i measure that uh, no yeah normally that's what that is so if you go in there and, and you're looking for a fuel efficiency set i like to be between 39 and 42 inches on a van trailer back of cab to front of trailer and that's where the front of the slider would end and then okay. they'll they'll tell you how many inches you can go you can go back i think you can get it all the way back to the actual end of the frame itself uh so you'll have to decide you know what makes sense for your operation but you can get a fairly extended slider for sure okay all right. Well, I think that answers my questions. Now the trick is going to be trying to find a dealer that will work with me. So, Let me know or call back in if you're having any issues with that or get a hold of me on social media. And uh, if if you're getting pushback on that, I'll see what I can do to help you out. Okay. One last question, and maybe maybe you don't know, but I, I'm hoping to get this in the new design, the new truck. Or the, when, Do you know when mm-hmm. they're supposed to start releasing those? I don't know yet for sure. I think um, I, I heard something about uh, production actually starting next spring, I think. Um, but I haven't heard any hard numbers yet, so I, I don't know. Might still be a year out then, huh? Okay. Yeah, it, it could possibly be. The, the lead time is probably close to that, though, anyway, I would 
Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming so. They're talking about there being a huge pre-buy um, before, I don't know, something within another emissions change coming down down the pike, and I don't know if that applies to the new body to, style or not. But, uh, 2027, yeah. I think, is going to be the new emission. Gotcha. So the 2026 pre-buy might be pretty strong. So, yeah, yeah there, there may be a, a year out on it. Okay. Well, I'd probably try to get the order in as soon as possible, but I, I'd rather wait a few months and get the new body style versus the current. Like, yeah, there's there is a lot of advantages in your operation. Like I said, the new body style is going to have the eye shift that shifts thirty percent faster. You're going to get the the new D13 TC with the higher torque and horsepower rating. You get the seven wave piston instead of the six. You get the new fuel injectors, the the eight holes instead of the seven. There's there's a lot of reasons to wait on that new one if you can. All right. Okay, well, I will reach out if I have any issues with that, and I'll probably see all you guys at the Mid-America Truck Show. All right. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Wisconsin. Reggie, welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. So I'm looking at uh, a world with um, more instability with the supply chain, um, aging population, and slower economic growth. And I'm just curious on, you know, as things get more complex with computers and chips, we'll call them, why we don't put, as a small group of truck drivers, why we don't put a greater emphasis on the importance of right to repair laws. Um, Being able to fix my old 1998 truck has been critical to my success in the industry, and I'd like to be able to pass that on to the next generation if possible. And I'll take my comments off the air. You Um, know, I... I've got mixed feelings about this topic, actually. Got pretty kind of a big conflict on this. I, I'm a you know kind of free market um, libertarian, so I don't like to see a lot of regulations from the government that get in the way of business. But I'm also torn on the fact that I don't like spending $180,000 on something that is so proprietary I can't figure out what's wrong with it or fix it without, you know, their technology. And, and, you know, if we can't use independent shops. So I'm torn. I I think I would probably, if I had to take a stance on this, I would probably come down on the stance of I would rather see more access to being able to fix it myself, not less. So I guess I don't understand the whole right to repair thing. Uh, 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 Take the Volvo, for example. There are independent Volvo shops. You can absolutely work on them yourself. Do you have to buy the software to to look at things? You do, but you have to do that with every engine, anything that has a computer on it. Uh, I You can work on these yourself if you choose to, and you can go to independent shops if you choose to. And that's kind of where I, I fall that I, I don't think we need to go get any new laws made or new laws changed. That What a lot of these push for is that you don't need any proprietary software for this. Like it, it, they need they some people want things so generic that you could buy one tool like a scan tool that works on every engine. Um, I, I'm not for that. Uh, yeah, I like the fact that tru- we, we've talked about this in another way. I like the fact that trucks are more proprietary now. I like the fact that Volvo created this really unique 
truck and drive line and engine and and I, I don't want to see that have to become generic so that we all have more access yeah the the thing that i would i guess i could understand this argument if volvo was selling a proprietary truck and then said we're not going to sell you right the software right so to that, work on this truck or we or it, and, and this is very common we we hear this myth all the time that volvo has to have all these special tools that you can't get which is nonsense you can buy through the dealer, or you can buy them online through independent places. Everything is available. I guess I don't. I don't understand the whole argument on the right to repair. My understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this happened over on the ag side, mostly with John Deere, where John Deere was saying, "We're not going to give you the stuff to work on the tractors." That that's my understanding of where this started. I don't know a lot about the issue because I just always thought it never made any sense to me that same with me side I, of things. I, I know yeah. there's all these bills that come up and every time i look at them i think i, I just don't like you're saying what if, if if you've got a man i'll even go this far if that's what john deere was doing saying we're just if you want your john deere fixed you have to bring it back to us it's the only place you can get it done i'm not even completely mm-hmm. against that because okay if you want to do that i'm going to go buy a cubota then yeah, right. Yeah, if if they're taking now, if the EPA is going to hold the manufacturers responsible for meeting emission regulations three and four years in the future, oh, like yeah. I've heard it's, is right. going to happen, then at that it, point the manufacturer is going to have to say, "Look, in order for to. these to meet that emissions, we have got to do this." Yeah, then, we, then that's a completely different story. Yeah, I, I get that, but the way things are right now. I just don't see right to repair as any type of issue at all in the trucking industry. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I mean, it's 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 your it's your choice if you want to learn how to work on a modern engine. Nobody is stopping you from going out and getting educated on how to work on a modern right. engine. You may choose not to because you you don't want to take the time to do it, but that's your choice. It, it's still entirely possible for an individual to work on an engine today yeah yeah so i i I don't think we we need any new laws right i don't think we need any new laws i I agree all right that uh that's gonna wrap it up for the calls today um anybody have anything they want to close with yeah stay open-minded people um when we're looking at things moving forward especially the way the economy is and and uh uh you know, we're at the bottom, kind of bouncing along the bottom, and it's tough for everybody out there because rates just aren't where we would all like them to be. Uh, the market is what it is, and, you know, stay open-minded opportunities like the power-only thing that we've talked about and, and um, open-minded to different specs on trucks and, and uh, don't dismiss anything out of hand because some people might giggle at it. <laughs> and uh, think 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 about what you're doing. Well, you, yeah. we know what happens. As as funny as it sounds, we that happens on a regular basis. And and I hate it when I see a new guy coming in in the industry, a younger guy, and they're kind of trying to be open minded about the stuff. And you'll see a guy that's been in the industry for thirty years going, "Ask bullshit." Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate I hate that. I hate that. Yeah, so, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Stay open minded. Uh, there you go, Alec. 
Well, the only thing I'm going to pick up on something that Joel said earlier, um, and I think it's critical when we're talking financials, looking at the top line revenue versus the bottom line operating margin or profit. Um, you know, where only 28% of the top line makes it to the bottom line. So savings goes 100% to the bottom line. That's why fuel efficiency, we think, at least at Alpha Drivers, that, you know, fuel efficiency is so important for us. But Joel, I think, expressed it pretty well when you're talking about speeds as well. It's not just your gross on-highway cruising speed. It's the net speed or the average Average. speed over the distance from point A to point B. So, and that also greatly affects the first thing I said about versus, you know, the revenue versus the expense side going to the bottom line. So, um, you need to think, it's not just what you make, it's what you keep. And so, when you're looking at these analyses, even on the the, the Axel conversation that we had, you know, it, it it's important to look at what's what's left, you know, the, so, the net at the end of the day. I, I like that mm-hmm. message. I'm going to, I'm going to add to it and make it even more complicated and nuanced. I hate to do that, but we need to, and here's why. And I understand why you're doing this. You're using a, a benchmark number that we get from ATBS, which is a good place to start. You know, you, you're using that 28% net number. We need to take that a step further in the real world. You should know what your net is. Yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. And and this goes to the whole gross versus net conversation. It's easy to know your gross. It's much more <laughs> harder to understand your net. It, so because I, very few people understand their actual net, we have to use some bullshit generic numbers okay. <laughs> just to make a point. You're Everybody right. should I, be able to call in and say, no, I have 46% pass-through. That's what makes it to the bottom line. Now let's do our numbers. Kevin, what is it, one in 100 can do that? It, yeah, it's a couple out of 100. It, it is. There is still more than 90% of single truck owner operators have no accounting system. 90%. Yep. More than 90%. So they don't know the real number. So, Alec, you know, using the 28%, at least it's a start. We're getting somewhere. But really, we should be calculating. Each individual should say, well, where do I fall in this? What is my net? And that's the number I need to use when I think about these things. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, Joel, Joel, it doesn't happen often. But I'm going to completely disagree Uh with something you just said. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't happen often, but you said it's it's much more difficult to know what your net is. How difficult is twenty minutes a month? Come on. Oh no, no, I, I get. <laughs> I, I guess I'm talking. I'm talking in an overall sense for the industry right, because it is such right. a problem that guys won't spend that. But no, I, I hear where you're coming from. Hey, just one real quick thing that I thought was really cool. I got a a message from from Leroy over at Pittsburgh Power, and he was looking for the actual measurements on connecting rods because he's going to do a calculation on the uh, the side loading oh, of, cool. the, of the pistons in, inside the engine. So 
I had all that stuff attached to a picture that showed all the rods, and I can't lay my hands on the actual measurements, so I'm going back to a guy that's retired that actually took those pictures <laughs> and trying to get that information for him. But I think that'll be really cool because yeah, he well. can roll through it and really demonstrate um, what's happening there when you understand your rod to stroke ratio. So yeah. pretty cool stuff. Good, good. All right, so my closing comments. You know what? I am. Uh, I have been going to the Louisville Truck Show for, man, 40 years? I think it was. 40-some. I mean, it's a long time. Um, I think I'm more excited about it this year than, than I ever have been. There's just a lot of cool stuff going on this year. I'm excited about the CMC being there. That's a big deal. You've got a ton of stuff going on. Every time I see a poster, I'm not sure how you're going to be in all those places at once. <laughs> He's going to kill himself. Stuff happening for sure. Yeah, so you've got. A, I'm excited for it too. Yeah, you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the the truck show this year and it, it you know at, at, for a while it was like oh my god another truck show again i can't believe i have to go do this uh but this year i'm really looking forward to it there's a lot of cool stuff going on yeah it'll be it'll be nice to all be able to get together down there i'm sure you know henry will be down and and you know we'll all get together and and uh do what we do talk about trucks but uh i'm definitely looking forward to it i think there's going to be a a lot of really valuable information uh, to be shared down there. And I think one of the reasons why this is so cool is for the first time in the 40 years that you've been going, we have a very unique and different powertrain option yeah, that we've been talking true. about through the whole show that allows us to do a lot of new and different things that we've never been able to do in the past. We've kind of regurgitated all the same stuff for the last 40 years. Now we got something different to talk about. Yeah, that's fun. So my schedule, um, I have the CMC all day Wednesday, half a day Thursday. Um, I don't think I have anything else going on on Thursday. On Friday, I'll be in the truckstop.com booth doing my show. I'm going to do the show live from the truckstop.com booth on Friday. That may be the only day that mm-hmm. week I actually have a show, because be- the rest of my schedule, I'm not sure if I'm going to have a show during the week. But Friday, I'll do it live from the truckstop.com booth. Um, here's, a, here's a good example. I always talk about relationships and how important they are in business and the advantages. And I've talked about, well, here's a good one, truckstop.com. I mean, they're, this, the CMC would not be happening this year at the CMC without them or, or at Matt's without them. I mean, they're they're the sponsor, and it's why we're able to sell a, a hundred dollar ticket for a day and a half seminar. I mean, that should be a seven hundred and fifty dollar ticket. But so mm-hmm. I, I'm excited about that, and that's that's the power of relationships. But I also have a, a an example of the opposite. And you know, I was thinking about this. So earlier we were talking about Blue Ribbon Logistics, which is Larry Long. And Larry came to a CMC, and then he became our photographer. We built a great relationship. And Larry has fostered that relationship over the years with us, with Let's Truck and myself. And it's going to pay off for him now. I'm doing something for Larry that there's not many people I would do this for. But Larry's going to get a huge benefit out of this. I mean, I've talked about this before. I don't like doing keynote speeches. So if if somebody wants me to do a keynote, you're going to have to pay me quite a bit 
I just put a big price out there, and if you want to pay it, I'll go do it. But I, I'd really rather not. It's not my thing. So I'm, I typically mm-hmm. now for a keynote minimum, it's $10,000, or I'm just not coming. Mm-hmm. And you got to pay my travel, and it, it's got to be convenient. And, sure. Um, if it's un- inconvenient, it's going to be 15000 if you want me there. Um, Larry's doing a, a driver dinner. Great time to do it because you can get everybody all together at the same place. And Larry reached out and said, hey, you know, I can't really pay you what you normally make, but, you know, would you come down and do a keynote for my drivers and, you know, I'll cover your dinner. And you know what? I'm going to. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, And and good for Larry. Good for Larry for Mm -hmm. fostering the relationship and then asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But that's how well, we'll business definitely works. Look you up when we get down there at, at, at some point. Uh, you know, I'll have have Alec if I have to run around. <laughs> we'll all <laughs> we'll meet up at some point. Yeah, but I, there you go. I am sure that we're all going to be super busy. But that's a good thing. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, here's the thing on that point. Yeah. Maybe we should all do the show live from the CMC. That'll be the first time that. Uh, all oh, four yeah, of us that's, will have been together. That's right. That is Friday. Yeah. So if you guys can make it over there, let's absolutely do that. Oh, we'll make a point of that. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So just, yeah. just plan on that. That'll happen. That'd be great. So, awesome. All right. All right. Good stuff. It's Friday. I'm, uh, I don't know what I'm going to Well, actually, i got to work on the CMC this weekend, so it's not a totally free weekend for me. But I think I might go get a little garden therapy for the rest of the day. <laughs> sun shining awesome. it's fairly warm i think i'll go dig around in the dirt plant some garlic or something <laughs> there you go yeah cool. yeah and for the insiders right. that know what i'm talking about i i probably want to get some of my tomato plants started indoors under the lights so for the people who understand what that means we'll just leave gotcha. it at that all right Great stuff. Thank you, guys, as always. And we will do it again next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.